Well, I think given the subject matter, I have to ask you a question. <laughs> is this one of those like you know start episode questions? Of course it is. If given the choice between Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, or Tim Drake, which one would you rather date? <laughs> I've been waiting for this question all my life. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Well, let's see. Dick is an awfully fine specimen in terms of athleticism. Jason Todd's rather mean. He probably, huh? Well, I'm sure he's a sweetheart, but I definitely follow him the least compared to the three. And uh, Tim is so sweet. He's such a nice little bookworm. You know, I think I relate probably the most to, as an adult, I'll probably relate the most to Dick Grayson, mm-hmm. even though, like, I, as Robin, like, I find Tim Drake the most relatable. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of like romantic potential, I would go for him. I would go for Di- I would go for Dick Grayson. Thank you for that <laughs> highlighting and uh, emphasis as well. Well, now I think everyone was wondering for years. They've wondered about that. Wait, 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 wait! wait before, before you start, start anything else, I want to I want to turn the question on to you. Okay. If you had a chance, or a chance, yeah, if you had a shot between Barbara Gordon, Stephanie Brown, or Cassandra Kane, which one would you want to date? <laughs> I was prepared for this! Because <laughs> you did it to me last time I was re-listening to our previous one, and after I asked you about Baby Doll Tarantula and Amanda Waller, you're like, what about you? So I knew you were going to ask me. I don't think it'd be Cassandra. Now, while I like Cassandra a lot, I don't think that I would feel any chemistry with her. I think um, it'd be hard to kind of relate to her. She's not I mean, a great conversationalist. I, I mean, she's getting better. We can, you know, use pictures like she does in, um, <laughs> in Officer Down. She's like following Catwoman, and she's like she's got it. She holds out a cat and has like woman at the bottom below. Oh yeah. So um, you know, we could do that, and so then we get down to like two really tough ones. You've got Stephanie and then uh, Barbara Gordon. Now Stephanie is like lovely ladies. I know. I feel like, just like you, I think I would probably relate more, you know, in our adult age. I think it'd probably be Barbara Gordon because, like, she's overall very similar to, you know, like, she's intelligent. She does have, like, you know, sort of a dry sense of humor and sarcasm. She's athletic. And then I think with Steph, I might, while I do love her bubbly sense of humor or, or, you know, bubbly personality, I think at some points I might be like, it's too much. It's too much. So it probably, it probably (laughs) would be uh barbara gordon oh well at least this this spares you of like a potential black canary barbara gordon joke i was going to say at the top of the show so uh, i'll leave that for next year i despise those we'll talk about actually in one of mine call um, me barbara we'll talk oh we'll talk about um ships or at least one ship that i I absolutely hate slash shipping is that uh well this whole thing is slash shipping (laughs) Well, these are real. Yeah, yeah, No, I do actually. I, yeah, I don't really. I don't like slash shipping now that I've like gotten to this age, I guess. But no, like actual like a ship. But yeah, there's just one I I despise. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes: debutantes, nurses, stenographers. And librarian. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl. 
modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Caped Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Just pay me back with 1,000 kisses Be my lover, I'll cover you Open your door, I'll be your tenant Don't got much baggage to lay at your feet But sweet kisses I've got to spare I'll be there and I'll cover you When they said you can't buy love Now I know you can rent it And at least you are my love Alive, be my life I'm your host Stella this is Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 132, shipper special number six. I can't believe it. For February MMXBII. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> Get over it. Get, get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Be not talking about that. Ship, ship, shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick, Dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go. For the shippers, Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien, Seth, Seth, Stephanie, shippers. I'll kill them. Dick and Babs. Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Revisited. I guess you weren't so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to The Next Dimension. 291 original episodes. It's still going up! 325 manga chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse as they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. When I said you could go, at least partially lied, for I will let you go to another dimension. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.lipson.com. See ya. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store.
Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Backroll Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Support TBU with Patreon by going to thebatmanuniverse.net and subscribing. Let me just tell you that there's one subscriber that gets an uncut episode of uh, the Batman, and boy, I bet they really enjoyed it. Backroll the Oracle also wants you to review the show on iTunes. There's actually a new review. I'm not going to read it on this one, but it's from Michael Ridge. I'm going to read it on the next episode. So keep those reviews coming. Give whatever star you feel, and then don't do a drive-by. Actually explain why you gave that star, and thank you. Well, I guess this special is getting long in the tooth. I think he picked out a couple gray hairs from his afro before coming on. Last time he blew away the stench of my good friend, the irredeemable shag. Yes, but, I did. But this time he can't really blow away any stench because Darren and Ruth Sutherland were very pleasant people. And I, But maybe you could blow away the stench of Denver the dinosaur. So welcome, my good friend, and the only person I can really ever do this with, Donovan Morgan Grant. <laughs> well, as much as I love to let uh, the Sutherland couple off the hook, they didn't know who I was, so I hate them not playing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your what's the history of the relationship between you and Denver the dinosaur? Uh, well, I mean, like, you know, we have this mutual frenemy in, in the name of Joshua Pertoni, mm-hmm. and every every like every like two or three years he finds some random thing that like he says hey listen to this and i'm like that was the stupidest thing i've ever heard <laughs> oh really well i'm going to play it to you ad nauseum and there was like the sonic the Un- sonic underground yep. cartoon theme song there was the um dinosaur train theme song and then he says look at this and he showed me this cartoon that i've never heard of before called denver the last dinosaur and made me watch the first episode <laughs> and it was like 90 minutes i'll never get back <laughs> it was 90 minutes long it, it, it was really long. I remember oh. it being like shockingly long, and I never heard of this cartoon. But it was just like kids find a dinosaur that's for some reason not prehistoric, and they run around and like run into museums and waste on this time. Oh man! Let me just say that I had no intention of that because when you yelled at me over text, I didn't know that you had a relationship with him. I was just looking up a because Ruth said how much she likes dragons and dinosaurs and those sorts of things. So I thought I'm going to find a like a dinosaur song, and I saw it, so I found that. Now I do have to say that I can commiserate with you because that one song, like each San Diego Comic Con, is plagued with something that Josh does over and over again. This previous <laughs> one was the 12 Days of Christmas with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought this previous one was like making up fan fiction stories when I was asleep. <laughs> well, that happened, but I'm talking about what Josh does. And then the I think a couple years ago is that stupid song from that show you guys like to watch, Community. We're going uh, to oh yeah. dun, dun, that thing. <laughs> yeah. I think the year before that, throughout the entire, he would send me, he would text me pictures of sandwiches. Did he really? I forgot about that. And it was so obnoxious. I was like, stop doing this. And then, like, the kids, like, apparently found my reactions hilarious. So then each time they were with him, they would say, send Stella a picture of a sandwich. It's ridiculous. But- 
It's not, it's not you and me who is always under his oppression. You two like would like watch old episodes of Friends, and that woman with a high pitched voice would just like yes. and you would turn turn the volume up, and it's just unbearable. I well, I, well, yeah, I think he might be the bad influencer. I guess. But. Yes, he's 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 uh he's the ruby to our sapphire. That quote right there makes me really nervous because I think that's going to make up four fifths of your list. <laughs> oh no! No 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 no! Oh, we'll see. Well, friends, uh, enough about Denver and, and that scaly dinosaur. This is actually a really special shipper special because it's actually LGBT focused. I was thinking about, you know, what to do next. Like, each time I finish one, I'm always thinking about, what what's the next one we can do? And we always go back and forth with some sort of DCU-related, however closely to Batman um, it may be, or something that's sort of not related at all, right? We've done Robotech, we've done Uron, and this came into my – because I still – kind of think about Young Justice, but this was kind of an off-season, so I thought, what should we do? And I thought, you know what? We've not talked about these types of couples ever, and I think it comes at a good time because of our Minority Report happening, you know, I guess, close to a year ago. Award-winning. Award-winning, yes. Professor Allen has, he gave it a special award for being like, I don't know, the best special, I guess, like one episode, one off episode, yeah. So I think, you know, coming off of the tail end of that and um, there just being a lot of, I think, great LGBT couples in media right now and then, you know, gaining traction and not just being there to be there, I felt like we should, you know, dive in and look at couples that we have enjoyed um, in the LGBT community. So what did you think when I first dropped this idea? Oh, I thought it was a very good idea. Um, I'll say that, like, at first, because you you had sent me or you had suggested this idea months ago, and I was like, "That's a good idea," but it's gonna be kind of tricky because I don't know. I don't think about how often those types of couple, couples um, pop up in you know the things that I watch. And when it came down to this week, when I was coming up with my list, I was like, "Oh, this is actually not nearly as impossible <laughs> as I thought it might." But um, no, I, I think this is fun, and actually, I think. This, Interesting stories because a lot of these are kind of across the hemisphere of a uh, fiction, yeah. and I think this this will be interesting for us to learn from one couple to another. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, a lot of it I think will be like <laughs> explaining what the things are because at least we've had like a common theme. I think that's run throughout our episodes, and and there's been a knowledge like a common knowledge base. But now I I just feel like everyone on my list you well except for one uh you've you have no idea and i'm thinking that that might be same uh yeah the, the, the same for for you as well and uh i was able to for i came up with like three out of five like really quickly like i knew which ones and then there were two that i was kind of going back and forth on and once i was thinking about like i knew a lot of them it was just more like what sort of emotional connection uh do i have with them uh which is something that we'll we'll certainly talk about like why do we think these couples are special yeah like these weren't these weren't like you know let me just think of one that i'm right. aware of and put on my list yeah. you, you had to like be true and say this is why i like them absolutely yep well i did want to uh, mention a vocabulary word and this is something that i think we, we've talked about before probably on our minority report as well as other places but the word is titillation <laughs> And defined online is the arousal of interest or excitement, especially through sexually suggestive images or words. And so I at least wanted to put forth the fact that this is not what we're going for here um, with, with the couples that we pick. 
Don, do you want to talk about like I, I don't know, like the impact of titillation on media <laughs> or, you know, just how damaging it can be and maybe some examples of things that you may have run across in the past or current times? Well, I mean, I, I, I think I know, like, like, like emotionally where this comes from because, you know, titillation is like, you know, basically either fan service or cheesecake or beefcake, you know, something that, that you watch fiction and it's supposed to get a, a, a sexual a rise out of the viewer, and oftentimes, and you know, in the in the in the line of work that you and I are in, in fiction, there's often you know, like kind of the fanficy, you know, same sex uh, imagined coupling. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if we need to do necessarily a slash thing, but like, I mean, in terms of like, we're, I mean, you and I are not the couples that we have on our list are not made up. They're not like, uh, you know, they're not like you know us fantasizing about you know two like, like batman and superman or whatever yeah. it's these are actual couples that are legitimately official and i think that I don't know, i'm not sure if you've ever heard of like the term gay baiting but like i know i think in terms of like titillation that's sort of like a, a similar thing where potentially people think that if two couples could or if two characters could get together you know, they might they might like that in terms of like some sort of like third party arousal necessarily and not not so much that they, they believe them believe in them as a character but you know like when I, when I used to watch Supernatural, a lot of the a lot of the female fan base, which is literally ninety seven percent of the total fan base, wanted the brothers to get together, <laughs> to the point where like they they actually addressed that on the show and they were confused. But um, <laughs> they were confused. Uh. <laughs> like, like, they know we're brothers, right? Yeah, they don't care. It was it's it's one of those things where it's like I I personally don't have anything against fan service as long as it's done in moderation. You know, like um, I don't I don't necessarily mind. If a, if a character runs around attractive, but I do mind if their attractiveness is obviously shoved in your face. Ninety nine percent of the time, they're on screen, so you know it doesn't it doesn't matter what Starfire looks like as long as the right artist draws her. <laughs> so um, I think that's what we're we're going for. We're going for more earnestness and humanity and heartfelt love, and not titillation and not you know we're not gay baiting these these franchises and we're not um, we're not trying to basically use you know same sex love as a template for our kind of, you know, puerile imaginations. Is that, is that what you're going for? Yeah, yeah. that that Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I think of, like, party scenes because until, like, I probably had watched Dawson's Creek, I think I probably wasn't really aware of, like, same-sex coupling, like, in earnest, as you were saying, because all I really thought of it was, like, you know, like, Cruel Intentions, remember, where, uh, <laughs> you know, what is it, Selma Blair and Sir Michelle Gellar, she's like, let me right. teach you how to kiss, or, like, like Fast and Furious, where like the, the camera will pan through and like two girls are randomly kissing, oh. and I think that's like for tittle, like let's make it you know extreme and let's try to. I mean, Cruel Intentions was about sort of sexual awakening, anyways. But yeah, these are, are certainly um, not like that at all. And f- you you speak of slash, and and I don't I don't really like it. Um, and it's not that I'm against it because you know I feel like people can. Obviously, you know, freedom of speech and they can use their creativity as they want to. But but sometimes – and some bother me more than others. You are going to bait me anyways. Does that count as gay baiting because you were going to say about Dinah and Babs? Is that kind of what you mean or is that something else? Well, uh, gay, I think gay baiting is, is, is specifically like uh, – because I, I can get into that. Like that, that the scene at the end of Hunt for Oracle where they meet, yeah. like – 
I forget. I think is it Butch Geist who draws the draws the scene where like they're yeah. you know Babs like resting on top of Barbara and they're all wet and it looks. I think it, it, to some extent it looks a little more romantic than the script might have called for. Mm-hmm. But if Butch Geist actively drew that to be looking like they were like romantically interested in each other. If he did that, and I'm not saying if he did, I don't even know if he did. I don't think that he did that. But if he wrote, drew that with the intention, like, oh, this will get, you know, this will this will be hot. That is gay baiting. Okay. That is like baiting readers into thinking into thinking of a potential gay couple when that's actually not the case. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's one of them that like because you know Batman and Flash. Because I've read like a lot of fan fiction. What? <laughs> Batman and the Flash that happens. Well, because I I've read like a lot of fan fiction this one particular summer. It was actually kind of the summer that I like really discovered uh, Barbara Gordon. Um, but it was mostly my fan fiction. I was looking for John Stewart and um, Shaira Hall. But I would see like this random stuff that's like Batman. What is this? That was like the first time I discovered. I I didn't read it but i i got like enough of like oh what it is but those are just like whatever but like i don't know that the one that sort of sets my teeth on edge honestly is the dinah babs one and uh i i wonder if that's like wrong of me because like if it all of a sudden turned out that one of them was like bisexual or gay like i i i don't know if i would have a problem with it but it's just those two in particular and i think it goes to uh dean and sam that's like those are the characters names right yeah like i just feel like for me, they're so – and less so now, I guess, in this current continuity. But in pre-Flashpoint, I just felt like their bond was, like, so special. It wasn't meant to be romantic ever. You know, it was, like, close um, as sisters. And that that uh, scene there, however, you know, like, out of context and sexual may seem out of context. I mean, with all the stuff that had happened and that was the first time they were meeting, I thought that it was uh, – a really great moment so it sort of it, it really irks me that's one of my pet peeves of like when people take it out of context and they're like see see but you know otherwise <laughs> i don't know if there are any other couples that that super duper bother me and, and there are ones that i sort of raise my eyebrows at sometimes um like like in current continuity casts and Harper or like Harper, like I wonder what's going on there sometimes. Um, but, but other than that, I, well, really detectives sometimes, I don't know, but, uh, that would be weird with pictures. Um, <laughs> do you have any that, that really bother you? Any slash picking? I mean, I know there's like, like for most of their, you know, like, uh, less favorable reputations, it's kind of plays a joke, but like, because the internet has so many people, having a platform to write certain things mm-hmm. i really won't allow any sort of like like legitimate batman or robin shipping mm. like, like and like people like, like legitimately thinking that like oh bruce or dick or whatever like like that that because beyond like you know like it being a safe couple that's just wrong yeah <laughs> like, like that's just not that's just that's that's wrong on so many levels or or i like, like, you know that kind of thing where it's kind of like, you know incestuous or whatever i don't necessarily i don't i don't ship Barbara and Babs, or Barbara and Babs, Barbara and <laughs> And I understand why it's because, like, you know, female relation, female friendships are kind of rare in superhero yeah. comics. Mm-hmm. And to have that really drive the main Birds of Prey story, to kind of, you know, perceive that as, well, the reason why you can read it is because they're actually hot for each other. Like, that's, that's actually very disingenuous. And it kind of robs, you know, women readers of, you know, true reflections of female friendships, you know, that they're taking from in that comic book so I, I i get why you don't like that yeah well i guess enough preamble are you set to go with this oh, we're gonna have a gay old time aren't we <laughs> oh man before we get into the list i i guess i i i just want to mention like two 
two two shows uh, that I do recommend that didn't make it on my list. Uh, the one is Supergirl. I, I mentioned this to you. I was like, you really need to watch this. And I think um, because Alex Danvers, the, the sister to Kara, uh, has this, I think, really beautiful coming out. And I really liked it because of, like, the struggle that she – I just thought it was really well written. Uh, just sort of the struggle that she was doing. She couldn't even name it or say anything. Uh, and then she comes out, you know, for Maggie Sawyer, who's who's on the show now. And then, of course, Maggie's like, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going to go for someone, quote, unquote, fresh off the boat, I think she says. <laughs> Uh, but now now they're actually together. But I just felt like it was really uh, worked out well. And then my other one uh, that nearly made the list is a sci-fi show called Winona Earp. <laughs> the ship name okay. is way hot, but it's a Waverly Earp, who's the sister of Winona <laughs> Earp, and then Officer Hot, which is H-A-U-G-H-T, but it's still kind of funny. Uh, but I, I liked this relationship. It's a little quick. There are some like writing issues I have with it, but what I like most about it is that um, it defied the barrier gaze trope because Officer mm. Hot was shot in the season finale, and everyone's like, no! But then it was revealed that she was wearing a bulletproof vest, so I felt like it was a little joke, and I think everyone was super excited that the gay character survived. So those That's are just all. my <laughs> my two, because unfortunately, there's a, I have a barrier gay in my list, unfortunately, <laughs> which is a bummer. Mm. But uh, yeah, so listeners, you've been with us probably for six years now, so you know how this is going to go. We have five pairings each, and we alternate back and forth, and I always have to go back because I can never remember from episode to episode who goes first. I went first last year. So oh, did you? Oh, I, I want to go. Just... I'm sorry. <laughs> so okay, okay. this year, Donovan has the esteem honor of going first. So, Don, what is your number five couple? Okie dokie. So I'll say right now, just as a, as a foreshadowing that. <laughs> oh, no. Of, well, no, no. In terms of genre, I have one from a comic book, one or, or two from anime, and two others from cartoon. And this one, I actually kind of shifted up like like the bottom three because I know the top two in terms of, like ranking. Um, and I think this one was a little higher, but I think I put it down to five. So my number five is from the show. And I actually told you about this because uh, over over a year ago you were on the Next Dimension and we talked about anime. Mm. Uh, so this is a show that I actually mentioned back then. This is from the anime series Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, yeah. This is the couple Shinobu Sensui and Itsuki. You mean there's all kinds of apparitions, good and bad? Who could have dreamed that a hunter I admired for physical prowess, this killer of killers, could also be warm, compassionate, intellectual, open to broadening his view of the world? Yes. I admit my attraction was not purely academic. I always wished he would become my lover. Okay, you can stop right there. I don't think my ears are old enough for this. If you truly care for Sensui, then help us stop him. The path he's chosen will destroy him as well. You can't save the damned. I should also say that like all my you know lists, I'm going to be spoiling parts of the series. So if people want to urge to Yu Yu show, this is spoilers for the Chapter Black saga. But like I told you before, just a brief uh, exposition. Like Yu Yu Hakusho is a story about a Japanese kid named Yusuke Urameshi. He's he's kind of a not a bully, but kind of a roughneck. He's kind of a, you know a little gangbanger. He actually saves a child's life 
and gets hit by a car and dies in the process. And the uh, the afterlife don't know what to do with him because they didn't expect him to do such a noble act. So they actually bring him back to life and make him a spirit detective. And a spirit detective is essentially someone who's endowed with uh, cool powers and is fights demons trying to go from like the demon realm to the earth realm so he learns martial arts he you know has some friends and he basically investigates these sort of like uh, otherworldly apparitions you know messing around on earth so that's the basic premise of Yu Yu Hakusho this relationship that I'm talking about comes from uh, my favorite storyline in the, in the series uh, where he actually has to investigate and bring down his predecessor and his predecessor was named Shinobu Sensui who was a very talented uh, young spirit detective who eventually learned of humanity's uh, dark nature and that human, human beings could be very, very cruel and evil just as much as demons were. So he learns this and kind of, you know, kind of runs away and quits being a spirit detective and actually comes back 10 years later to destroy the world. While he was, he learned this while he uh, was initially, when he was a spirit detective, he was investigating this one character who was kind of like a, a, a psychic. He could also kind of like go between dimensions. And the demon that he was investigating uh, started talking to uh, Sensui and saying, look, you know, you know, demons aren't all bad. Demons can be just like you humans or whatever. We can be very, you know, loving. We can be very kind. We can have a thirst for knowledge. We're not all evil. And he actually helped Sensui broaden his um his perspective and it was this it was this sort of like you know conversation that led since we to kind of you know break off from being you know from being a spirit detective uh itsuki tells the heroes later on that uh when he first met since we and since was like 17 i think around the time he actually fell deeply in love with him because he thought that somebody who was trained to be a killer like a, a young killer like you know a mercenary could open his eyes and change his mind and you know be willing to learn things that are outside of his outside of his box and he actually found that very attractive and you're not sure actually like how they're together or if they are to get together or if they're just like you know partners in crime or there's friends or whatever we learned that by the end of these saga spoilers he dies uh since we killed by yusuke and when itsuki returns he comes and he says you know I'm, I'm, I'm taking him with us we both knew that he was going to die and he wanted to spend his last days trying to fight what he was taught against was just was just to hate another other people so we're, i'm going to take him back to our house basically in another dimension and we're going to spend the rest of eternity together and he's the way he's holding him and the way that he's ta- what the language he's using is very very intentionally romantic and the uh man- manga author yogashiro togashi i think said that like uh itsuki was a favorite character of his and he actually wanted to explore him more in terms of, like you know kind of alternative types of enemies because you know as they were kind of villains but they were also very three-dimensional and they were also lovers so that is my number five sensui and itsuki i know that's a lot sorry no no i i almost the downside to this is that we can't like comment like oh yeah i really like yes. that couple too so yeah, what yeah. what makes you uh Really like this couple, would you say? Well, for one thing, uh, I like their voice actors. They're very, they're very, very talented, and they kind of really put across the kind of like three dimensional uh, humanity of the human and the demon. But also, like they're very, like they kind of treat you know, you know, every great villain doesn't see themselves as villains. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conviction with them, and when Suki's kind of cradling Sensui's body, he really like kind of like like accuses. I mean, he's not like screaming or crying or whatever, but he just kind of very sternly accuses them of you know, you know, you trained a boy to be a killer and then went to get him after he became one. And like you know, we I don't I don't have time for your like concern or your judgment 
you know, on our lifestyle. There's a lot of like kind of heavily coded language, and it really felt genuine to me. I mean, it's number number five. If there are others I liked more than it, but I actually thought that because um, essentially is my favorite villain. I think he's a very compelling villain. Um, that storyline is my favorite in this in the series. I, it was one of those things I didn't actually realize till I was older what was going on. <laughs> Even though he does says he fell in love with him, I guess I didn't take it seriously when I was a teenager. No, as an adult, I think that like they're pretty well written, deep. Uh, layered characters, and I appreciate them for that. Now I'm glad that, like you know, you have, you know, gay characters who can be multidimensional and not just, you know, them being gay isn't all you know about them. Do you watch it in the English or the original Japanese? I've seen the Japanese, but I generally watch it in the English because um, it's done by the same company who dubbed Dragon Ball Z. So okay. I watch. Do you have you seen this episode in the original Japanese? I haven't, but I have read the manga, and it's the same thing. Okay. I just wondered if, like, performance or if, if anything was changed or if there was, like, more emotion with one or the other. I just wondered if you had any background there. An, a future choice, I will distinctly tell you what the difference is between the Japanese and the English versions in terms of censorship. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I imagine the Japanese would censor more. Not really, because, no, like, okay. uh, I think that, well, it depends on when the series were dubbed in America. Like, you know, if it was done now, they wouldn't care, but if it was done in the 90s, as I'll, as I'll tell you about, they, they've cared a lot. Okay. And, and Don started off his with saying where he was getting his couples from. And I will say that three of mine are from television shows, one is from a comic, and one is from a film. Yeah, so I guess that's it. <laughs> so uh, we're actually going to start off. I know. Uh, with my number five, and uh, within this, I'll also say a couple that I hate, hate, hate. I would love, I, I'm sure no one's going to email in about it, but I want to know why they like that couple. But my number five comes from the show Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> <laughs> and the couple is Emily and Paige. Emily is played by Shay Mitchell, and Paige is played by Lindsay, Lindsay Shaw. I'm sorry. It wasn't your fault. I shouldn't have let it happen. It was wrong. If I ever find out who put that stuff in your flask, I swear I'll kill them. Don't say that. I mean it. I don't want you to say it. I don't want you to mean it. I want you to listen. I haven't been with anyone since Maya. I haven't even thought about it. Or at least I didn't think I was thinking about it. I was drunk that night, and I got lost. Only I didn't really get lost. I was looking for something. I was looking for somebody. And I came here. Don't look away. A funny story as I go into this is that uh, I got a parent email. I teach, as everyone knows, hopefully, who listens. got a parent email, and the top half of this parent email was like, academics, like, how's my child doing, blah, 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 and she was talking about the grade she had, and so I had to explain that. The bottom half of the email was literally, do you think it's okay? Is this show appropriate for my you know, 13-year-old daughter to watch? And number one, I'm like, my goodness, woman, you're the parent. I'm, you know, I'm the teacher. But I had to go into like a very like – like, like why were they asking about Pretty Little Liars in a, in a school letter? Well, it was an email to me specifically. Okay. 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 And I'm her homeroom teacher, so like I think it's like an advisory capacity, probably a question, but she, probably in like her talking with her daughter about you know is this a good show or not, she probably said, "Oh well, Miss, 
also watches it, which is true. So, you know, then I had to explain, like, this is the sort of content that's in there. You know, it'd be a PG-13 in the movies, but it's TV-14. You're going to have to expect, you know, there's going to be some team partying. Of course, the girls are always in danger because it's like a murder mystery. There's going to be some sex. So it's like, you know, it's kind of up to you. And then I, like, gave her a website that if she wanted to look at it. But really, I don't, I don't want to make that. I mean, I don't think it is, but I didn't want to, like, flat out say because I just felt like it's kind of comes down to them. But anyways. Uh, I mean, you don't have to answer this. You don't have to. But, like, how old are your students? Mostly eighth graders, so mostly 12, 13. Okie dokie. And then I have 9th through 12. So, I mean, the adult ones, you know. But I, I've dealt, like, my first year, Pretty Little Liars was just starting out, and 13-year-olds were watching it. But, I mean, these 13-year-olds <laughs> are also watching Grey's Anatomy, and I feel like I don't know what. But, you know, I'm coming from a place where I wasn't allowed to watch Friends when I was younger. After a while, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they're like, no, nah, you should probably watch that. I couldn't watch Dawson's Creek. So, like, I'm coming from a more conservative background potentially than, than these people are. But mm. there are some kids who can't see PG-13 movies, like some seventh graders I have in my homeroom. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, anywho, so Pretty Little Wires, let me give you some background here. So it's set in the small suburban town of Rosewood, PA, which is not too far from Philly. And it follows the lives of 4.5 girls. So I'll explain that. So you got Spencer Hastings, who I would say uh, in the beginning, She's certainly well, – she's like the smartest. She's the, the leader. Um, she has a lot going for her. She plays field hockey. She's sort of like – she'd be like the valedictorian. Uh, Arya Montgomery, who's like the girl next door. Uh, Hannah Marin, who used to be fat, um, and now she's kind of like – for me, she's like a dumb blonde, but sometimes I think she puts on airs and she's smarter than she actually is. Uh, and then you have Emily, who um, she's a great swimmer. Uh, I would say she's the, the sweetest of, of the four. And the point five is Allison De Laurentiis, and she is uh, a B-word. Uh, she is not a nice person. She leads the others to do, like, mean things, and that's sort of how, like, it all starts off because, like, they end up blinding somebody by accident. So it sounds like, uh, oh what's God. that called? Jawbreaker. It's, it's kind of, or Heathers, like that kind of thing. Um, But the click falls apart after the alleged murder of Allison. One year later, all the friends are actually reunited because they're receiving messages from a mysterious villain named A who threatens them, tortures them for the mistakes they made before and after Allison uh, was alive. And at first they thought it was Allison back from the dead, but then they find her body and they realize it's somebody else. But then actually they realize that, oh, wait, Allison's still alive. So there's all this crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> so that's basically what it, it's like a huge murder mystery. The A's sort of change hands because you like one at one point an A was revealed and now we're like in a new A. I feel like there have been so many A's now we're in like a flash forward season. It was really good at the beginning. And now like, I'm just like holding on with like a couple other people were just like holding on cause they're in their last season. Like we're just trying to make it to the end. So, um, it'll be good. <laughs> And actually, this is one of those shows I, like, posted on Facebook, I think, when the reveal of, like, who A was uh, happened to be a transgender character. And um, I realized, like, oh, that trope is true. What is that trope? What's that called? Where they make, like, the gay person, like, the villain or the transgender character or whoever. Yeah, I'm not sure the name of it, but, yeah, I guess it's, like, I don't know, like, like devious gays or whatever. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, oh. Because I think we talked about it, like, you, Josh, and I, because I think maybe we mentioned, like, Blofeld, maybe. Or something, maybe it wasn't Blofeld. <laughs> but because he, like, dressed up as a woman. And, like, other other people. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know if that's true. Does that? Oh, actually, it's connected to the Burnside Batgirl. 
Because I was thinking that, That's right. you know, it, yeah, it's just yeah, a there's villain, sort of, but it, yeah, that kind of thing. But then I was like, yeah. oh, wait, so this sort of thing does exist. Uh, so this is the reason. So Emily, she's dating someone at the beginning of the series. And you can tell, like, it, it's not really – like, she's kind of just going through the motions. Um, and then she meets this this new girl. Her name's Maya. And Maya's a little forceful for, for my taste, though. Like, the relationship, I think, is really nice. But Maya's really the one who brings Emily out of the closet, uh, and they start a relationship. And I don't know if Maya was ever in the closet. I think it was just, like, a relationship that happened. Uh, unfortunately, Maya dies. And then Emily, or I'm sorry, Paige, is actually a rival on the swim team. And at one point, she like <laughs> she's, like, dunking Emily's head underwater, like, practically oh. drowning her, but not really. And Emily's, like, super PO'd about it. And then after that, pretty soon, like, Emily's in her car, and then Paige comes in, and Emily's like, you know, why are you in my car? And she's talking about how, you know, you've got this perfect life, and Emily's like, no, no, no. And then Paige kisses her, and she's like, don't tell. Okay, so like, what is going on? So that's sort of like, the. it starts off pretty poorly between these two, but it's really great because uh, it develops really well because Emily's already out and, and she was on the other side of that fence for Paige. So she like, you know, goes slow for Paige and everything. Paige is having a really tough time with um, sort of accepting who she is and, and they it falters a lot and they, they're like not together. And then they get back together, which is the clip that I have, um, because someone uh, drugged Emily's drink. Gosh, this sounds even worse of a show as I think about it. Like, no 13-year-old should be watching this. And she finds herself at Paige's doorstep, and uh, she realizes that, like, she feels like Paige is the person for her uh, to be with. And it just, like... Through all the trials and tribulations um, that Paige and Emily seem to have, like, a really great relationship, out of all of them, Emily is certainly my favorite, not only because I think she is the sweetest, I feel like she lies the least out of all of them, because the others have relationships with people that they're not telling the truth, but Emily is, for the most part, I would say, like, 80-90% pretty open with Paige about what's going on, and even when they, like... They were having plans to like, go to college together over on the, the West Coast, and then that fell through. But they always seemed to like, find their way back to each other, kind of like a Ross and Rachel sort of way. Um, and I just think it's, uh, I don't know, I, I really like this particular one more so than Emily and Maya, which I know is a, a great ship. Um, the ship that I hate that people are putting Emily with is Allison. And Allison sort of tortured Emily with, like, weeding her on and everything. But now, you know, six years later or what, wherever we are, there was, like, they shared a kiss. They're, like, really, and it really, I just don't like it. Um, I'm hoping that at the end of all of this, Emily and Paige get together, but I, I I hope I'm not disappointed. <laughs> would, I enjoyed that. Would this sort of couple uh, interest you, you think? Starting off very violent with head dunking in a pool and everything? I did say she's um, a swimmer, right? So that gives context oh, yeah. to why she's in a pool. Okay. Well, I'm on the Pretty Little Liars wiki. Yeah, <laughs> at the pay leash page. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 this is one of those shows that I heard about. I did not know what it was uh, about. Is this on the CW? No, it's on Freeform, which used to be ABC Family. Okay, okay, yeah, it's a lot, it sounds a lot way more violent than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, like, so when did this show start out? Uh, two thousand ten. I guess around two thousand ten, like you know, a, a gay uh, couple would not be as taboo as it as it might have been a few years ago. Yeah. So, like, how, how long did this relationship take to take to develop? Like, was it developed by the end of the first season, by the third season, or? Think I guess it started because I think Maya was like season one and two if I remember, and like three might have been like some rumblings of Paige, uh, but 
they again they had sort of it was rocky and it was slow and she didn't really like to be thought of as gay. I feel like it it's sort of like three point five on, and then there were some gaps mm. where they where they weren't together. But now they're back in the same town. But again, I don't know because uh, she's dating somebody else, and and I don't know what Paige is doing. So I don't know. Is this going? Is it? Is the show still going on? It is. It's in its well. Whenever it starts, which is in April, um, it will be its final season. So that's why we're just holding on. The fans that are like sort of frustrated with where it's gone. Ooh. Now you might have to edit this out because I've been scrolling through it. But I, I read. I don't know how, but I read that Maya is killed. Yeah. Oh gosh, this is. There's another. This is a, I guess that's a barrier, gay too. I mean, uh, I assume that this is a show just about. A, girls in a high school but yeah well I now guess, they're yeah. adults but yeah i mean it's really it's like jawbreakers and heathers but like to an extreme mm. level perhaps yeah and and what's nice you know it's i think it's a good percentage that maybe 25 percent is a good because you know one out of four you know of of the main leads uh was gay and and i love how the girls were um accepting and it wasn't like a fake accepting kind of thing you know like they thought about it for a little bit and they're like you know you can love who you want to love and i remember when um emily was considering you know going to prom hannah you know the quote-unquote dumb blonde was saying like you can go with whomever you want because i think she was sort of observing maya and emily together so there's like uh you know the four are, are very close but uh yeah emily and Paige all the way do you read fan fiction about this show I don't. I don't really read oh. fan fiction anymore. Are you looking okay. it up now or something? <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. No. It's very, very interesting. Did they, they ever show up at Comic Con? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, because I remember like um like like we first started talking about this. I remember I was at one panel waiting for another panel, and they had like the Screen Queens show. Oh yeah. And at first, we were like, oh, you know, they, they think that it's so-and-so back from the dead, but she's dead, and her body's missing. I was like, is this Scream Queens? No, it's Pretty Little Liars. Okay. Yeah. But uh, very, very, very interesting. Oh, also, uh, what else is not on my list? I just thought about this. Uh, nothing from Gotham is on my list. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, certainly if Josh were here, he'd probably pick Penguin and um, Riddler, which I'm still, like, flabbergasted about. But I think people are loving it or something. Well, it's 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 very one sided. So there's no there's no real love there. It's just oh. well, I thought they yeah. shared an almost kiss. They did. <laughs> they okay, really did. so I don't know if that's one sided. <laughs> I'm kind of happy about that because, like, I said, Josh, did you see that that gay scene? And he was like, Oh, that, that wasn't anything. You're just making it up. And like the next ten weeks, he has to deal with being wrong. I um, know. Yeah, because I think people are like posting reaction videos. <laughs> <laughs> I should see this. I really uh-huh. think so. Yeah, they're on YouTube. Yes. Okay. Well, over to you for your number four. Okay. Yes. My number four will close off the anime version of the Aww. list. This, I think this is more of a substantial explanation because it's kind of funny. At my number four is Haruka. I didn't pronounce that right. And Michiru, a.k.a. Sailor's Uranus and Neptune from Sailor oh, Moon. No. <laughs> What about these puzzling characters, Neptune and Uranus? Oh, look! Here come Amara and Michelle. Oh, great. Why do you think they've entered the contest? They're girls and cousins, too. Amara, Michelle! 
fantastic. You're the best cousins in the world. How'd you guys meet then? We're cousins. We grew up together. Huh? We've been inseparable huh? since we were born. We can almost read each other's minds. Like best friends? Amara's already got a best friend. Her name is Michelle, remember? My cousin wants to know if you'd like to race her again. If you do, she's waiting over at the pool right now. I'm glad you couldn't make it. I hope my cousin Amara didn't force you. Sailor Uranus, surrender. Or this is the end of the road for your cousin here. So you see, I'm not lonely without a boyfriend. I don't think about it at all. It seems so long ago, my first kiss. Not for me, Amara. Huh? It feels like, like it was yesterday. It was so magical. <gasps> oh, I remember it vividly. It was with Brad, the cutest guy in the school. Leave it to me, cuz. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure that's... I don't think this is a show that you would have watched when you were a kid. Although a lot of girls did, like like way back when. Yeah, I mean, Sailor Moon is, you know, it's a very well-known anime about uh, pretty guardians, like like teenage girls who kind of transform into uh, magical girls and kind of fight monsters and stuff. And that, I did watch it when I was a kid. That was before Dragon Ball Z came on. I didn't see all of it, but I do remember hearing it past the part that I watched that there were two new Sailor Scouts, older characters, they're there, I think about 16, that were together. And so I had to actually watch some of these episodes because they were not, you know, in my familiarity. And basically, the idea of Sailor Moon is that they're, they're like these, these five friends. They're about 14 years old. Uh, like they're in eighth grade. And they fight monsters and, you know, they eat cake and stuff. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a very, very, like, girl, girl-friendly action show. cake. That's a plot yeah. point. <laughs> well, not a plot point, but, like, that's how, they, you know, they kind of hang out and just do whatever. And I think around the third – I think it's Sailor Moon R, I think, or maybe S – on the third series, they're introduced to, like, two older Sailor Scouts. Like, they're, like, in, in high school. They're taller. Um, but they don't know who they are. Anyway, at school, I'm, I, I'm not going to bore you with their real names. Like, Sailor Moon and Sailor Venus see this very tall-looking individual. They think he's a very, very handsome boy. He has short blonde hair, very tall, very preppy. Uh, he's a race car driver. And they kind of, like, have like, kind of, like, superficial crushes on him. But he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of with somebody. And then they meet another person with blue hair who's a violinist. It's like, oh, well, well, you know, can you do something with us? Do you want to hang out or whatever? She's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going with my, you know, my lover right now. And so they meet them at an arcade. He's like, oh, so where's, where's your boyfriend? And she points to, like, the, the guy they met. And the guy is actually a girl who has short hair. And this is one of those things that, like, is actually very interesting to think about because – the artist, the, the manga artist, actually drew the, drew this character, Sailor Uranus, like with short hair. She looks like a man when she's like in school and stuff, like mm-hmm. when she's like not not in her superhero costume, and she kind of plays upon masculine um, kind of like like a performance. I and mean, she actually she actually flirts with other girls just just to have fun or whatever. But when she like turns into Sailor Uranus, she you know she's wearing a, a, a tall skirt and uh, I don't know. It's 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 there's a lot of kind of like gender performity going on. This actually, I mean, I was actually kind of confused about this when I was younger. Like, why did uh, why did girls who liked girls sometimes dress as guys? Yeah. And I actually, like, um, in college, I, I had a classmate who did that. I mean, she she would dress pretty masculine. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm trying not to. I hope I don't offend you, but can I ask why sometimes do you dress like a man? And she said, uh, you know, there, there's no, there's no big deal. Sometimes she just likes doing that it makes her feel comfortable and i think it's interesting to have like not only a gay gay couple but one of those characters actively kind of like you know be this sort of like gender performance in 
being not she's not pretending to be a man but i think there's a lot of gender gender neutrality going on and i think it's i think it's an interesting kind of like thing to have in a kids cartoon because this is one of those anime series that was done for kids it's not done for like an older audience or whatever and this is back in the 90s um so you have to understand that like this was not kosher towards american audiences so the big the, the big thing and the clip you'll hear that i've provided for the podcast is that in the american dub they couldn't come out and say that they were they, they were both in a relationship. So they said that they were both cousins. The thing about that is that like they said they were cousins, but they left all of the like innuendo intact, like all the flirty dialogue and all like like the body language. Like so there's, there's Kyle a, and Minmay cousins. Even worse than that. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> uh, I guess they could just like couldn't cut them out or whatever. But um, yeah, there's like a two minute clip. Uh, where there's like you know oh I love you my cousin and there's, there's this very very like passionate dialogue about their cousin and it just sounds ridiculous but I, I actually find them quite interesting especially in terms of like identity on, you know on the level of, like they're not just you know girls who are love each other they are girls who have a lot of stuff going on and they actually kind of like uh, it's actually kind of fun to see like the Sarah Scouts react to them because they're younger mm-hmm. like uh, like one of them like, like when she finds out that one of like one of them is actually a woman she screams <laughs> like not not in a horrified way but just like in a very shocked like kind of like yeah. little teenage girly kind of way so um, yeah I, those Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus are my number four couple for this list did they love each other in both forms then yeah oh yeah okay did it change yeah. at all? Like, did their forms change how they behave towards one another? One another. Well, it, uh, this is gonna sound dumb. Like, like, like when they change, they just have like makeup on. And like when oh. I say makeup, like, like, like eyelashes and lipstick and stuff. <laughs> they just like wait a minute, wait a minute, gotta put on my eyelashes. <laughs> well, I mean, do you remember in the, the Teen Titans Justice League movie where like Starfire transformed into her costume? Uh, vaguely. Like that's how they transform, and okay. it's just like stuff appears on it. And that's, and that's kind oh, of the thing that kind of drive, does drive me nuts about Sailor Moon. They don't have masks, but they have secret identities. I don't get that. <laughs> they, they look exactly the same, but um, it, it is a thing because like if you look at like um, like I've seen some of the manga, and she's drawn like you know a broader shoulders and longer chin or whatever. But like when she's Sailor Uranus, she looks she's like a very tall, long legged woman. And I, I don't know. And I, I, I find that I'm not seeing that in comics or other kinds of fictions where someone where a lesbian character actively has fun with like gender performance and i think that's something that sets herself apart from other uh other lesbian characters as opposed to you know them acting butch or femme or whatever she kind of just chooses to see how people perceive her they were always together what like when they first came onto the show they were together yeah they they never they never i don't know of any origin story where they get together they just show up uh together did it develop at all like was it just always the same it's always the same i think at the end of the series I think they adopt a child or something, oh, but like okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. There, there wasn't any like like you know love triangle or anything like that. Um, I think what, at one point one of them is. Th- I'm not seeing the entire Sailor Moon series, but one of them is threatened, and the other one like is perfectly willing to like sell out the Sailor Scouts to save her life. Like she's perfectly willing to like, like be evil just to save uh, her girlfriend. So I thought that was kind of surprising how into each other they were. But uh, I mean, I know, I know that the author, the author of the Sailor Moon, actually is married to the author of Yu Yu Hakusho. And she was very – I mean there's actually a lot of uh, other gay characters. They were gay villains who were in love with each other. And there's – you know, Sailor Moon is actually a very, very feminine show in all ways. It's not just you know pretty stuff going on, but it's very, very like uh, – a lot of different 
personalities. The main character, Sailor Moon, is kind of an idiot. Like she actually like sucks at school and stuff, and uh, has to kind of learn to be brave. And it starts running away for like the first dozen episodes. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of stuff to go on. I think that like in terms of like all the different types of personalities that the show offers, uh, Neptune and Uranus are among the most diverse. I saw one episode. You know how there's like that and like an anime room downstairs in the uh, at San Diego Comic Con. Uh, and they like show different things at certain times. Like they'll give you a schedule of what they're going to show. Oh yeah, like after dark. Yeah. Oh no no no! They do it throughout the entire day. It's oh, okay. like this little room, and they're like, "You can go." Because I went down there and watched an episode of your favorite show, The Irregular at Magic High School. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think either before or after was a Sailor Moon, so it's probably this only Sailor Moon episode I've ever seen. But there was a man that looked like Zorro in it. <laughs> tuxedo mask yes that was it and i think i guess does sailor moon have a relationship with him yeah she does honestly it's kind of annoying because like i was i read i read the first volume of the manga and it's almost like twilight in that like oh. whenever he whenever she, he shows up she like moons all over him but like his alter ego is is a boy who teases her that she doesn't like and like oh. there's this thing I, I actually really like the more i learn about the more i really like sailor moon like it was a show that i genuinely enjoyed when i was younger and i kind of just fell out of it there's a lot that it offers and i think that uh, honestly i think you might like it too but it, was, it is a bit the anime is a bit formulaic and i know that like uh they did another series recently that no one likes there it has a big like fandom that i think is not for nothing so yeah i, I think it's, it's pretty cool well, mine is still in the, the realm of television, and it's a show I just watched. I'm all caught up now. The four seasons about to air soon. It is The 100, and the couple, which is a fan favorite couple, uh, is Clark and Lexa. And Clark mm. is played by Eliza Taylor, and Lexa is played by Alicia Debnam Carey. What's wrong with you? You can't just kill everyone you don't trust. Yes, I can. Well, I won't let you. You were willing to let her die two days ago. Nothing has changed. You're wrong. I have. I can't do this anymore. Octavia is a threat. If you weren't so close to her, you'd see that. It's because I'm close to her that I know she's loyal. Her brother is more important to her than anyone. She would never endanger his life. And you're willing to risk everything on that? And your feelings? Yes. You say having feelings makes me weak, but you're weak for hiding from them. I might be a hypocrite, Lexa, but you're a liar. You felt something for Gustus. You're still haunted by Costia. You want everyone to think you're above it all, but I see right through you. out 250 people died in that village I know you felt for them but you let them burn not everyone not you well if you care about me then trust me I can't sacrifice my people anymore. If you do anything to hurt Octavia, 
I'll tell everyone we knew about the missile. So the series is post-apocalyptic series. Uh, when I first saw previews for it, I was like, oh, that's dumb. And I didn't watch it. But then I decided to give it <laughs> Well, you know, three years ago, I was like, well, there's another post-apocalyptic. Because I just feel like they come one after another. Um, but this, uh, I actually gave it a shot on Netflix. And I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. So anyways, it's set 97 years after a nuclear apocalypse basically wipes out all life on Earth. And the only known survivors are living on 12 space stations that are connected in Earth's orbit uh, prior to the apocalyptic event. So they come together and they form this massive station called the Ark. And uh, there's always a leader, a chancellor. And resources are pretty scarce. And so all crimes, regardless of their nature or severity, are punishable by ejection into space, which (laughs) which is called floating. Unless the perpetrator is under 18 years of age. So, like, a curse will be like, float you! That kind of thing. Mm. Um, that really, they, they say that curse. So, now, the Ark's life support system is, like, in critical failure. And a hundred of the kids under 18 years old that are locked up are just sent down to Earth to see if the Earth could be inhabitable. So, basically, it's like a death mission, but they were probably going to die anyways because they're running out of oxygen. Uh, it happens to be inhabitable, but they find out that they're actually not alone. So there are grounders who uh, live in clans, and there's like lots of power struggles. Uh, they do come to an alliance at some point. There are grounders who have become cannibals, but you find out that they're sort of like mind-wiped, uh, and they're known as reapers. And then mm-hmm. you have mountain men, who are actually people who locked themselves away before the apocalypse, but because they had no experience of radiation, uh, they will be killed by the residual radiation if they go outside. So the teens have been growing up, you know, in space, so there's radiation there. Grounders have it, so they're sort of, like, immune to this. Clark is one of the 100, and she's actually a daughter of a high-ranking officer, doctor on board, uh, but she tries to help her father out, who happens, like, he's called a traitor, but he's, like, trying to save people and tell them that, you know, the Ark is failing, and he's floated, and then she, yeah, whatever. So she's sent down (laughs) with the 100, and there's this other guy, his name's Bellamy, and he just wants them to like be free down there and like do what you want you know you were locked up and she's basically trying to help them survive and like we need to find water we need to blah 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 so there's kind of a power struggle there uh throughout the three seasons really throughout like one she kind of becomes the de facto leader and even in season two there's a great season or there's a great moment where the parents finally come down and her mom uh says something about lexa who's the commander of the grounders like the commander kind of rules over all the tribes and uh she says something to another guy she says they're being led by a child and then the other guy says so are we meaning you know uh clark there so she kind of becomes this leader so near i guess it's, it's really in season two clark and lexa first meet and Clark really just wants to sort of live in peace with these grounders because it's there's they want to kill the people uh, they call them sky people because they came from the sky and sky people are just like trying to survive and now you know now there's also revenge so now they want to kill the grounders and she is trying to broker uh, a peace treaty and everything so she will have conferences with her sometimes and then she makes some really tough decisions uh, she actually kills one of her friends because. He killed a bunch of the grounder people, and they were going to 
<laughs> kill him by a thousand cuts. And so she asked, can I say goodbye? And then she ends up stabbing him because she didn't want him to suffer. So throughout the, these little meetings, Alexa begins to really respect Clark. And mm-hmm. she actually um, does little things to like show this because she's very a very stoic person. Um, I think there's only like one time that I've seen her like really yell at somebody. If any, you know, there are times that she will smile. It's like this really like a slight tweak of the mouth and only at Clark. Um, So there are like really interesting moments between them. Clark is like unafraid of her and will push her and she'll like get up in her face, which is the the clip that I have. Uh, She really, which, you know, no one else would do that to the commander. And I think to a certain extent, uh, Lexa really likes that. So they both, you know, not like, ooh, but I mean, she likes it that, you know, it's someone, someone different. Uh, Up to this point, you know, Clark was dating this other guy, the guy that she happened to kill. Uh, And then, you know, I think just budding feelings, and Lex is actually the one who kissed Clark, and Clark said, I'm just not ready to be with anyone. And then, that was in season two, and then she betrayed her. And then season three, Clark um, (laughs) (laughs) Clark is brought to um, Polis, which is kind of the capital, and she wants to kill Lexa because Lexa betrayed her. And then sort of their relationship begins uh, to boom again and, and just being very supportive and a, you know, being uh, an advisor to a certain extent, though this other guy feels like she's not a good influence on you. Their um, current motto is blood must have blood, right? So if a grounder blood mm. is shed, then someone must pay for that. And Clark is trying to tell Lexa that you don't need that that should not be your legacy. You can blood must not have blood, that kind of thing. And Lexus sort of goes with this. So unfortunately it, it, it doesn't work out and they're going to put a blockade and then Clark has to leave. And then they have a special, a special uh, time together. And <laughs> unfortunately after this special time, the guy that does not like Clark and her influence over Alexa is like shooting and he was going to like shoot Clark and then blame it on somebody else. And then it'll be, you know, then Lexa would probably fly into a rage and then blood must have blood will come into it. But unfortunately his shooting of course hits Lexa and mm-hmm. Lexa gets killed. So there's, you know, the, the barrier gaze. Uh, they, they wait to reconnect. Unfortunately, this is most likely not due to story, but because um, Alicia Debnam Carey is currently on fear the walking dead. So I think it was just like scheduling. Sorry, I had to explain a lot about that, but I wanted to show like the the oh, gentle no. or the gradual development of the relationship. But again, it's just like two leaders, you know, coming together. I think there's there's mutual respect. It's not. It's like very subtle and very subtle ways that they start to grow attached to one another. And I think it it's just really well done. And what's nice about this show is that I, I perhaps because we're 97 years in the future, but like no one bats an eye. You know, if you say something like, "Oh." I was going to ask about that. Which call it's a boyfriend. You know, like that doesn't even like nothing because a character like that actually happened is like and and his boyfriend's coming over and like everyone's like I, there's no like reaction which I think is great and you know she was dating this guy and then you know someone said something like if you care about her but no one's like implying or feeling any weirdness about it so it's great that it's just like. That's how it is in the future. Um, but it's just sad that she's dead now. And I think it was a fan favorite couple, Klexa, uh, as people like to call <laughs> the ship name. So, yeah, that is the 100 Clark and Lexa. I don't know where Clark is going to go now with, with Lexa gone or, or what they'll do with her next. But uh, two strong female characters, and I think that the, the show is actually a lot of fun. 
Clexa. Uh, <laughs> that's that's, that's I know that like there was like a, a Clark and Lex Luthor. Clients? Yeah. <laughs> um, so like like when when it was I mean how long have you been watching this show? Uh, literally just like the past month. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I, I, I was wondering if, if like when the character was killed off, people were like, "Hey, you killed a gay character." But I guess if like if because like, I was I was going to ask if it's ninety seven years in the future, if if um, sexuality is, is much more regularly fluid yeah. in um, in people that like they're not. It's not like they killed off their only gay character. Probably. Like, are there other gay, gay oh, couples? In the show? There's well, there's one other couple. Yeah. Okie dokie. So it's not much, but I think it. What there was an outcry because I think there was like a news story about it. Well, on whatever outlet would have carried it, but about a barrier gay, and I mean it was sort of like they had to kill her off because of the whole. I mean, she had a contract with Fear the Walking Dead, so I think it was more a scheduling conflict. But um, yeah, it was just kind of unfortunate. It always sucks where it's like, where it's like, well, I gotta do something else, so kill me off so I can never return. That's just. And she, yeah, she returns uh, later in their, you know, re, in like a different capacity. But um, yeah, it's just, it is unfortunate to go out that way. You said they had some special time before then. That's also another trope. <laughs> oh no! Right before someone dies, they like have special yeah. time. Yeah, they make love, and then like, and then like, either they die, or, like they they yeah. they like lose the competition that they're trying to do. Yeah. I think I actually I know. And that was only their second kiss too, because the first time was you know near the end of season two where Clark said she wasn't ready to be with anyone, mainly because she had just killed like the last person she loved, and then you know (laughs) she realizes that I think how much she cares for for Alexa there, and so she kisses her in the second time. But yeah. Kind of sad. I, don't, I don't like shows that like where people are forced to kill people they like. That always that always really forced bums me. Out. Well, I guess yeah. I I I can get well that really tore at her, and then other people of course blamed her. But in the situation, we're like, are you going to let this guy be tortured by being cut by a thousand you know knives or whatever, or yeah, are you yeah. going to like put him out of your misery? And he even says like, thanks, princess, as he's dying. But it was pretty shocking. Oh man, that that's 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 a bummer. Okay, yeah, uh, I definitely have heard of the 100. Um, yeah. I mean, like, like, like the CW has a lot of like the 100 Vampire Diaries. Um, tomorrow, people, I think, um, or no, that's tomorrow, done. whatever. But yeah, that was I enjoyed that show, but it's over. Uh, did you watch Beauty and the Beast? Mm-mm. I yeah. was considering it because you know of who was on it, Kristen yeah. Crick, but uh, I did not. Did you? No, um, I think <laughs> I went in and out of knowing that Kristen Crook was on it, and I don't hate Kristen Crook, even though she tried to ruin Smallville. But give um, me a break. <laughs> no one likes Lana. <laughs> That's not true. I mean, nobody likes Lana. That's not true. I like Lana just fine. It's just that in the end, she makes some really bad decisions and ruins everyone's lives. Maybe we should do Smallville ships next year. That would drown me. <laughs> Oh man! So, so how long how, how long has the 100 been around? Like maybe three seasons? Just three, yeah. So I'm all caught up, and so the next season starts like February 2nd or something. Okie dokie, interesting. Yeah, I'll be interested. I mean, if they ship her again, because I guess you know she's a shippable character. Though I almost hear. <laughs> Why are you saying that? Which is because I think like you could. There's clearly people are like obsessed with putting her and Bellamy together, which, like, when I see some things, I'm like, yeah, I wonder if that's who she, with whom she's going to end up. Uh, but I almost also see her as, like, a Barbara Gordon, well, my mind of a Barbara Gordon of, like, maybe she needs to be alone, but, you know, for a little bit, but we'll see what they do with her. Before I go on to my next one, I just wanted to ask, uh, uh, because this is something that you'll be into, like, because you watch Teen Titans, right, the original Teen Titans show? Of course. Like, did you ever ship Beast Boy and Raven together? A lot of people did. Yeah. 
I don't think I did. I'd have to right. see about the later seasons. But I, but then I found out that they actually had a relationship in the Teen Titans comic. With, like the Jeff Johnson. Like, the very end, like, like, yeah, like right the before end. the New 52. Yeah. And then I started thinking, oh, what is this? And now on Teen Titans Go, it's a big ship. Oh, is it really? Because call her mama and stuff. Hey, mom. We've learned our lesson, mama. No more pranks or lies. Just the real reels. Then be real, beast boy. This is me getting as reels as I can. I love you, girl. I love you, too. If Cyborg's robot coma has taught me anything, it's that some chances are worth taking. Raven, will you marry me? I, I, yes. <laughs> it, it reminds me of like, of like Fez and Mila Kunis in that 70s show and that like at the very last minute they get together and this, it kind of feels yeah, weird because from the books that I've read, there's no real uh, instance because he, he's all about Tara and yeah. she's either on her own or like has a crush on Wally West or Dick Grayson at one point, but she gets past that. So uh, it, was, it was one thing where like people who watched the cartoon picked up on that and I don't know if the show ever tried shipping them on purpose but i was like oh that's kind of interesting i think you know the show is i think really focused on the whole starfire and robin Robin, that there wasn't much room for anything else besides uh, beast boy and tara yeah yeah they they only do that one season but it's been a Um, while i have i've been like slowly (laughs) purchasing them and i think i'm only like yeah i have fourth and fifth that i need to still buy so i can get back to you once i get those and rewatch (laughs) <laughs> what happens in yeah. Attack on Tokyo or whatever that Trouble in Tokyo? Did anything happen? It, it, it was it was Robin and Starfire again. It wasn't much yeah, of uh, it was like a Ferris wheel scene. It was a really cool uh, fight scene though. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. I'm sorry about the tangent, but That's I figured okay. that. Oh, that just came across my bow. Speaking of comic books, this is uh, <gasps> where I met <laughs> my really? one comic book, and I know for I know for a fact that you're. This is I'm not going to explain too much to you, yeah. but I will the listeners. So when I'll actually know about is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Okay. It's, in, it's it's it was it was published in the, in America. <laughs> My number three from the series Gotham Central: Renee Montoya Ooh. and Daria Hernandez. Yeah. And I actually reread uh, a couple hours ago the Half a Life storyline, which God, that's good. <laughs> I was telling my brother this when he was in town, like like we were driving home from somewhere, and I was telling him about the Gotham Central, and I handed him like one of my trays, and he had, he had killed it in an hour. He's like, that was amazing. So, uh, raise your hand if you like the character of Renee Montoya. <laughs> because everyone knows that she was a character who was... She was created for the animated series, but I think, like Batgirl, she premiered in the comics first. Like, she's a Nightfall. And Nightfall was written the first year of the animated series. You know, she, she's a beat cop. She, she, you know, she starts off kind of small. She eventually becomes Harvey Bullock's partner. And I know specifically at one point in Contagion, we see her with a boyfriend. I know you just recently read that. We, you know, she, she's a support, main supporting Batman character for a while. And then Gotham Central, after Gordon retired and Bullock was, you know, quit in disgrace. She's really the, the probably the biggest Batman police character that we have kind of going into that series. For a while, you know, she's, she's with her partner, Christmas Allen. She's doing stuff. She starts getting blackmailed by... A guy who was a, kind of like a, a private investigator who was hired uh, in revenge from a, a perp that she had arrested a few years ago. Eventually, she's outed uh, behind her back by this private investigator uh, because he took a picture of her with 
a new girlfriend that she had named Daria and put it on the on the posted wall of the Gotham, uh, Gotham City Police Department. We see this relationship develop from the storyline because we see uh, her squad mates, you know, react to this. We see her her family react to this. And this is something my brother pointed out because he was reading this. He's like, "When was this written?" Because it's hard to remember when people being gay was. I mean, I'm, I, obviously, you know, the fight's not over now, but this is written around the early 2000s, and she gets a lot of real homophobic crap thrown at her once she's outed uh, with a picture with Daria. Daria is like a cook at some restaurant. I think she's a pastry chef, and despite this troubling time, eventually was revealed that she was uh, set up by Two Face. They are together for the major for the rest of the series. Um, they go through things. At one point, a notable point, the uh, forensics the forensics analyst uh, Corrigan is, has has a bullet that can kind of exonerate Christmas Allen from a crime. And I think he like threatens Daria at one point, and some Daria beats the crap out of him. They go through all the things together. I know um, during the various storylines, like War Games and Infinite Crisis later on. I mean, Daria's not she's not like as sh- much shown in the comics as the other cops are. But you know, she's she's like you know always by uh, Montoya's side, and it's really really sad because throughout the entirety of Gotham Central, it's kind of like the the deconstruction and breakdown of uh, Renee Montoya yeah. because she goes through so much. And I actually won't spoil the very end of the, of the series, but by the end, she she just like she really can't take it, and like tells Daria, you know, you just just stay away from me. Um, there was one point because like at one point Renee was getting into such a such a funk that she was at she was at a bar like 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 flirting with other girls, and she actually knocked someone out. And the way that the art was drawn, I was like, oh my god, did she punch Daria? I was actually really horrified. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't her. But they're 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 a very strong couple. I mean, Renee is a terrific character. And I think that like Daria is one of those characters that like when she first talks to each other, when they talk, when you first see her like in the scene, like not just a picture, she's saying, you know, like, well, you know, I got out of that work today, and my my family found out, and she's like, well, at least you can tell your parents I know how to cook, which I thought was kind of funny, and even though she's like, that's not funny, I, I think they're they're a very very like human sweet couple, and I genuinely felt bad when it ended at the at the end of the series. I mean, oh, I understood. I understood totally why it, it ended. I think Renee, like, you know, she really grew throughout the series and deserved so much than so much better. And I think that like, you know, for the time that she was with Daria, they were kind of like a perfect couple that I kinda of wanted to see right off into the sunset. But uh Last it was not to be. And I think it, it got better towards the end, but then you had that gut punch that sort of tears everything down again. Yeah. Because it yeah, seems I just, like I just, they did reach a pretty stable point in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, any sort of like threats that to the relationship that was kind of building up, it kind of subsided until the very end where it just yeah. kind of went over the board. I like how um, supportive uh, Christmas Allen. Like they, you know, they invite Daria um, and Renee over to their house. Like I, I like how they have mm-hmm. sort of joint dinners together. When was that written? What year? Okay, it was written. Um, it ended in two thousand. I think it was written from two thousand one to two thousand six. Okay. I was just thinking about when you were mentioning about, you know, would would there be such reactions at that time period or now? Uh, And I think now there wouldn't be, though I guess it depends on the workplace. But I was just thinking about the movie Freeheld, which was based off of a true story. Hmm. It has Ellen Page and um, Julianne Moore in it. Uh, But it was about, uh, do you remember, have you seen this? 
I've never heard of it. Oh, oh, okay. Well, it's about a police officer is trying to allow, or she's trying to get her pension benefits transferred to her domestic partner because she's diagnosed mm. with terminal cancer, but people don't want to allow that to happen. But anyway, so she's, you know, she's out, and I think people are, for the most part, accepting in her uh, in her little squad there, or at least her partner is. But there's also, like, this guy that, like, uh, also in her squad who is, like, not out and so i think she she meets she sees him at a bar if i remember correctly um but i think he's like fearful of what the other people will say so i think there is that just sort of reminded me of that thing because it was a really tough time for her uh in the beginning man i i hope that was i don't know if uplifting is the best word but i i don't know if encouraging is either but just for people who weren't out or who like have had those same struggles i i i hope that her story was i don't know helpful for them or or they they resonated with it yeah they, i know it won the harvey award i think it won the eisner award and then it did win like a, a like not a glad award but a type of like gay representation award i mean just some, i mean every now and then there'd be something to kind of like demonstrate how tough it was and tough it still is for some people i mean like i remember when i think it was that storyline with the, the monster that was kind of created by dr alchemy attacked yeah. and like he burned that necklace into her skin and so she was in the hospital and dario shows up he's like i, I, need, I need to see renee it's like you know are you family no i'm a partner and like they don't let her in yeah. and like really like like when she leaves or, or she's like she's like talking to her brother uh, renee is and they're saying you know like, our parents are really upset over this and she kind of oh, leaves yeah, she, that's she, right yep she said she calls the phone says hey dario i need to talk to you and so she leaves with daria and Daria goes up to her, her apartment and like Renee's walking away and the guy who's like blackmailing her, he's saying these really horrible things like, you know, like because uh, you know, they like kissed on the mouth and she goes upstairs and he's like, oh, that's not what the guys want to see. Come on. Can't you make it hotter or whatever? And it really shows you how dehumanizing some people are yeah. when it comes to like people that like are not, you know, that are different than them. And I thought that like, I mean, Brian, not Resident Evil, God, no, like Ed Brubaker and, and Greg Rucka, they really crushed it with this series. This is, this is one of the, I mean, that, that, this is one of the best Batman titles out there because it, it almost reads like that's it's not a mainstream DC comic book, but it, it reads so clearly. It, it, whenever they bring up like kind of the prejudice that they face, to me, it's not necessarily surprising, but it's, it kind of shocks me back into that's right. This was you know because I, I feel that like that's so much more commonplace of acceptance now, even though I know it's not everywhere. But like it, it would be weird reading in a comic book now uh, people not being accepting of, of gay characters because there's so many other gay characters out there these days. Mm-hmm. So I just I, – I really appreciate you – know, besides the series itself just being glorious, there's also that scene where um, Mackie Sawyer, who's the, the police captain, talks oh, to Renee. He's yes. Like, yep. Be, coming, coming out of the closet is like a, a one-way street. You can't shut the door again, and she's like, you know, well, you don't know what it's like being you know, Latina and having your parents think you're going to go to hell or whatever. There's just, just – people, read Gotham Central if you've not. It's such a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I feel like it, it's so real life. Like it's so realistic you know, with those – with how people react, like her family and, yeah, the struggles that... I, I just feel like real-life couple struggles, too, and, of course, with superheroes or supervillains on the side. But, yeah, you're absolutely right how uh, how great that was. And I think it, it just really reinforced how important a character Renee Montoya is to the DCU. Um, absolutely. Because I, I don't know... I feel like, you know, everyone always thinks about Jim Gordon and Bullock, um, but I, I feel like perhaps not until this have we really put uh, Christmas Allen, I think, to a certain extent, and also Renee Montoya more to the front. Yeah, thanks, Gotham. <laughs> Gosh. Isn't it? That's funny how you said you need to stay away from me. I was like, doesn't that remind you of, didn't Barbara, who said that they were toxic together? Was that Barbara or Renee? 
After like Barb- with all oh. the drugs and they're like they're drinking uh, stuff and that. I think I think Renee said that too, Barbara. We're toxic. Yeah, there you go. I guess Barbara is the um the. Uh... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She's nothing. Okay. Okay. Whew! That was a good one. Thank you. I, I, I was. Do you have that? No. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I like when we have different ones. I I do as well. But no, I I completely agree with that, and I think she practically is like one of the first. Like big characters to come out of the closet, isn't she? In DCU, because Kate you know, was I'm after tra- that was fifty two. Oh yeah, Kate, yeah, Kate was created afterwards. I, I I don't think there's any other. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but I don't, I can't think of any other major lesbian character in DC. I know Marvel has more, but like, yeah. nothing's coming to mind in DC right now. Well, there you go. Thank you, Renee Montoya. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, on to my number three. It's my last TV, so then we can move on to bigger and better things, perhaps. It's a show that Don asked me had I watched because uh, he thought it was right up my alley, and I didn't until last spring, I guess. It's Orphan Black. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Uh, and the couple is Cosima and Delphine. And Cosima, as well as all the other clones, is played by the amazing Tatiana Maslany. Uh, man, the stuff she does is amazing. And Delphine is played by Evelyn Brochu. Hey, Delphine. I, I hope I'm not disturbing you. Oh, no, no, no. No, impossible. So, apparently, I've got this thing for, like, um, jumping to conclusions. You know, it's just that I've never... I know, I know, I know. You're not, you're not gay, and I'm a total idiot. Hmm. So sorry. Oh, let me. Oh yes. Do you? Yeah. I just want to make like uh, crazy science with you. <laughs> totally crazy science. I'm so glad to hear that because you know what? I was I was reading up on on the Dyad Institute and. Did you know that Dr. Leakey he has built a dedicated department for transgenic organ transplants and. Sorry, I was just dorking out so hard to their um, extrapolation of murine models. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's really, really good to finally meet someone who gets it. Mm. Who gets? Who gets me? Yeah. Hello. Ops. Stop thinking about that kiss. Uh, like in a not bad way? Oh, like, I have never thought about bisexuality. I mean, for myself, you know, but as a scientist, I know that sexuality is a, is a, is a spectrum. But, you know, social biases, they, they codify attraction. It's contrary to the biological facts, you know? That's oddly romantic. Totally encouraging. So the series begins with Sarah Manning, uh, who happens to be a con artist, witnessing the suicide of a woman whose name is Beth Childs, who appears to be her doppelganger. Uh, Later on, Sarah assumes (laughs) Beth's identity and occupation, which is a police officer, which is a little awkward, after her death. And throughout the first season, she's discovering that Beth was actually a clone and that there are other clones spread throughout North America and Europe. And that someone's plotting to kill them all. Uh, so she has her foster bro- brother, Felix, and then two of her fellow clones, Allison Hendricks, which is very much like a Stepford wife. You should see she gets like pretty crazy. And then Cosima, uh, who is very like 
much the science nerd here. Uh, and so they all are discovering the origin of the clones, a scientific movement called Neolution, and then that's sort of headed up by this wealthy biotech corporation, the Diet Institute. They're conducting research and they're promoting eugenics. And then that's secretly aided by another clone, Rachel, who's like a bad, bad clone. And we find out that the clones are actually followed by monitors. So like it could be their husband or a boyfriend or something, but they don't know that they have monitors until later. I mean, they're supposed to like just keep personally separated from them, though pretending, you know, that they, they're together and just really study them uh, scientifically, but they're actually just keeping them under surveillance. And I think, you know, love sort of finds its way in there. Some are more detached than others. But Cosima doesn't have a... Uh, a monitor, it seems, at the beginning. She's, like, going back to... Well, she's in school. And uh, then she meets this Delphine person. Excuse me. And uh, she's, you know, calling Sarah and be like, I think I think I have a monitor. And Sarah's telling her, you need to stay away from her. But Cosima is, <laughs> is sort of, you know, interested because, uh, well, Delphine's, like, an attractive person as well as, you know, she's smart and everything. So she ignores that order and, and they, they become friends and everything. Cosima at one point makes a move and Delphine's a little put off by this and, and walks away. Uh, and Cosima feels bad about this. Uh, later on in the sound clip that I have here, uh, Delphine comes back and they're talking about science and uh, she's talking about um, bisexuality in like a very scientific way about like sort of the spectrum and mm. um, how society sort of um, pushes you one way or another, uh, which is I, I think is pretty interesting. And uh, they actually end up uh, starting a relationship after after that moment. And so uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I feel like occurs a lot, is, um, you know, let's, let's make science together, which is just like <laughs> that's sort of, you know, almost the root of their relationship. And Delphine knows about the clones. And what happens is that for many of the clones develop this sort of like degenerative disease where um, it just gets worse and worse and then they end up dying and Cosima ends up getting it. So then a lot of the incentive is like to come up with a cure and everything. And so they're working together on this research. Uh, they actually begin working with the Diet Institute. And then there's a bit of a shift because the leader of the Diet Institute dies and Delphine becomes the head and she feels like it's in their best interest that they like sever the relationship because um, she just doesn't want like to be involved uh, if anything like bad happens kind of thing or like she doesn't want her, her mind to be caught which was like a, a really it was a hard moment to watch for sure and then a barrier your gaze happens again and uh, <laughs> oh, no. you know? and uh, Delphine is actually there's like they kind of get back together like they're able to reconnect after like a lot of sort of like portrayals kind of happened and, and everything is sort of reasoned out and like okay I understand you know why you did this and so it seems like they have a touchy moment and then she's shot in a garage it's very sad and so later on in that season they're sort of they're getting to the root of, of the beginning of all this and they find out they're actually clones on the male side and everything Cosima goes to this place and Rachel is there the evil clone and Cosima ends up like getting stabbed and then she like flees and like is running you know trying to get away and goes to the woods and there's like a little encampment in the woods and so she's like making her way through the people and all of a sudden 
Delphine comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, she, yeah, they're like reunited, and it's 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 interesting because like on the side, you know, as a fan, you're like, oh look, Delphine's back. Cosima is more like, I mean, she's like bleeding out, so she's probably thinking that this is some sort of vision. Delphine ends up helping uh, out, her out and, and taping her up and everything. So kind of the relationship is back to normal. Though the you know that we, we have yet to see the the new uh, the new season. But I really like this. And this was hard. Like sort of ordering five, four, and three were hard because like two and one, I absolutely knew where it was going to go. But I like this because you have you're sort of untrusting of Delphine to a certain extent because she is a monitor like it's clear that she's the monitor and you wonder like to what extent does she love Cosima or to what extent is she just being led around by what she's supposed to do and you see her break through that and really put Cosima's feelings and her health in front of you know whatever Delphine was ordered to do uh, and just you know let's make science together I think was great and just seeing them it's really though I mean that's what they're doing is like science I'm steal that. I think you would like it but you know working together and then uh, their reunions uh, I think were great and and especially the the one at the end of the the previous season um where like she's she's come back from the dead is great and and it's just if you look at them like physically they're they're <laughs> they look like very polar opposite you know you have mm. uh, Delphina's you know French which looking at her you wouldn't know but you know uh, blonde curls and then uh, Cosima's got kind of like dreadlocks they're, they're just like really tight like twists and then she has a nose ring and glasses and it's like you know they're they're different it's like a nerd they're both nerds but it's just so great <laughs> uh, I think they complement each other so well and it's just again. Again, I, I think just the fact that Delphine puts Cosima's interests first is, is something that really drew me to her character. And Cosima, I think, is sort of the the rocker chick of, of science. So that's why I like this particular couple. I'm glad that you've started watching it. I actually don't watch it myself. Come but on. I heard so much about it. And I heard, like, I, like Harry really loved the show. I, th- I think he did, at least to a certain point. It sounded, like, really, really, like, crazy. I was like, well, I might, well, I might yeah, try the show. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, is, is it like a is it a BBC show? It is, yeah, BBC America. Okay, also they're all filthy <laughs> British people. No, I'm kidding. But um, please, you watch Sherlock. I do, and watch that and Doctor Who. Um, yes. So, so if they're clones, do they do they explore? They were talking about um, exploring like the whole like bisexuality thing on a scientific level. Like, do they talk about? Not that I'm demanding this, but like I'm interested if they're clones of people. Like, not all the clones are of the same orientation. No. I mean, as far as I know, Cosima's the only one that is a lesbian. Of the other ones that we've seen, I don't think I haven't. I mean, one of them's married. You have Sarah, who's not. She has a boyfriend. Well, she has a couple boyfriends. She has a, a, a daughter. Yeah. Must be hell on those actors. <laughs> well, especially I Tatiana. I mean, the, yeah. the craziness. Yeah. Of all yeah, the that, different personalities, she won, she, she won an Emmy for that, right? She better, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> I think people. She lost one year, and like people were demanding that that not happen again, and then she got one. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I think that like there's another show that I've been meaning to watch called Sense Eight, oh, which yes. has like people around the world. Now, they're not like clones, but like they are like, kind of connected. I think it says something to where, like not only are we, are we more normalizing, you know, other types of love, but kind of showing kind of connection in that way. Kind of showing you, know, how, you know, some sometimes we're like this, sometimes we're like that. That's an, that's very interesting on like a, sort of like a 
not only a scientific level but a storytelling level. I appreciate what they're going for, even if I don't. I'm not, I'm not totally familiar with it myself. Yeah, it's not ended, right? It's still going. No. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the new season. Okay, dog. It has when three, so I'm not sure when it starts again. When did you, when did you start watching it? Because I for the longest time spring, been, I think. Okie dokie. Yeah. Very cool. We called uh, Delphine and Cosima. <laughs> Cosima. Yeah. I think I think when you were describing it, I, I was like imagining the opposite ones, and then I googled it on my phone, and I was, I was like, oh, so Delphine is uh, Tatiana Maslany. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Cosima awesome. is Tatiana Maslany. Oh, whoops! So yeah. <laughs> I had it right initially. Okay, we're down to the final two. two. Yep. All right. Now we're in Steven Universe land. <laughs> I knew it was happening. People who have followed me for, I, I, next to mention on other shows, and I, I've just exalted my love for this show. And I just want to say that, like, because it's a kid's show, but it's a kid's show done so smartly that it's, it, it's one of those, you know, appeal to all ages things. I really, really, really love this show. Um, it doesn't seem like a show that I thought would be for me. Like, when I first saw it, I was like, you know, what kind of drugs are they smoking? But, like... <laughs> It's, it's, I've never seen anything like it. And it really gets you at, a, at an emotional level. So um, I, I've, I've never been more serious than I am right now. <laughs> My number two couple are, and again, this is also spoilers for the, throughout the first season of uh, Simi Universe. My number two is Garnet. And by Garnet, I mean the couple Ruby and Sapphire. Steven, I was so happy when Garnet said she was going to come on this trip with me and dad. Home's been awful. Here's been awful. I thought you wanted to have a fun time, but everyone's been acting awful, too. It it just came with us. I don't understand. Is it... Is it me? No. Uh, Steven, it's all us. But we made him feel like it was his fault. I keep looking into the future when all of this has already been solved. As if it doesn't matter how you feel in the present. No wonder you think I don't care! Sapphire! No, 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 no! This is all my fault! I, I didn't want to look for a solution! I, I just wanted to be mad! You're right! You're always right! I was being stupid! I don't think you're stupid! I'm sorry! You honestly think I'm not upset about what happened? I was just trying to do the right thing. I know! <sighs> You know what's nice about being split up? What? I get to look at you. <laughs> Be serious. There's my laughy savvy. You're embarrassing me in front of Steven. <laughs> now this is kind of like a, a, a tricky so thing. So shipper names are like a new jewel? Well, here's the thing. What, does that always happen? <laughs> well, think about it this way. You remember in Power Rangers how you had like the like the Zords and they would combine to form the Megazord? Yes. So there's a concept in CV Universe that they steal wholesale from Dragon Ball Z called Fusion, oh, where the alien race called the Gems, they can actually like like if they start dancing together, they can actually combine and make an entirely new person. Like if you and I got on the oh, dance floor and started dancing, you and I could make like like Delovan or whatever. Oh yeah. So like, like Sullivan. <laughs> Sullivan. Sullivan. There we go. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. 
So they introduced this concept about a little ways into the first season, you know, how they can dance and form a, a giant woman, as Steven likes to call them. And he's trying <laughs> to figure it out. He's half human, half gem, so he doesn't know if he can or not. Okay. He eventually fuses with his best friend, Connie, so he makes a, a gem-human fusion. And it's really cool seeing, like, the, the gems fuse because there's a lot of creativity going into, like uh, – into what they are. I just say like the show is about a little boy named Steven who's half alien, half half human, and his mother. All these all these characters are named after like actual real life gems. So like he lives with these alien characters called the Gems. Uh, these three women, Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl, and he is like the reincarnation of his mother because they were like they're sort of a rebel group in their alien race that tried to take over the world, and his mom kind of like died and was reborn as him. So he's kind of like her, her son slash reincarnation, and his mother's like best friends are like looking after him. So that's basically the setup of the show, and they're teaching him. You know, this is what we do. We we do fusion. We, we teach you how to dance. Teach you how to like fuse. And he's not getting it right. Eventually, he does get it with his friend, and we see the gems fuse into each other. At the end of the first season, their alien race, the gems, come from like homeworld, and they come down to Earth and basically kidnap them. They actually seemingly kill Garnet, who is the leader of the Crystal Gems. Like, like they snap, like, like she is snapped and she's like stabbed and snapped in half. And you see like her actual like gems, like her actual garnets fall to the ground. And they're rubies and they're, they're a ruby and sapphire. So it's not a garnet anymore. And people are like, wait a minute, what, what's going on there? And it's revealed that the entire time, Garnet actually was a fusion. So she was, I mean, so you thought that she was like, you know, a singular gem, but she's actually two gems. So that's the first surprise. The second surprise is that not only is she actually two people, but these two people are endlessly, hopelessly, like irrevocably in love. (laughs) (laughs) Any other adjectives you would like to say? (laughs) Awesomely. And it's really, really sweet because like you're, it's, it's kind of like playing with the audience. But like when you first see them, they're trying to like, like, like you see Ruby and she's like this kind of squat, like square looking, you know, ruby colored alien. And it's like, I got to find Sapphire or Sapphire. I got to find Sapphire. And so um, and then you find uh, and she's like, you know, kind of she, she's angry. She's very excitable. She's very like, you know, like, like hot headed. She's that kind of like personality. And then you see Sapphire and Sapphire is like this very blue, cold, very calm, low quiet kind of uh, character and when they find each other they're like oh did they hurt you no did they hurt you who cares i do and like sapphire kisses ruby on the head and they start like hugging and laughing and form garnet and you realize that the reason why garnet's a fusion the entire time is because they love each other so much they want to be with each other they, all their lives and it's one of the sweetest things you've ever seen in your life did you say um, one of those weirdest things no sweetest things oh, sweetest okay it's it's so adorable like like they're it's unbelievable how they in- introduce these characters like inside of like 10 minutes and establish so much and it says so much about the character that you've known for like 50 episodes and every now and then garnet will defuse there's an epi- there's actually a really good episode where um my favorite character pearl betrayed them as she always oh. does and she betrays them she does. <laughs> she actually uh, fused with Garnet under false pretenses. And the thing about fusion is Wait, that like, you can do a triple person fusion. Yeah, you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> and form crazy monsters. But um, the thing about fusion is that like it's a gigantic metaphor for like intimacy. Like the way that like they dance sometimes, like it's it's kind of like sexual, or whatever. It's kind of like fun, and the way it's done is very very like like the reason why. Ruby and Sapphire are Garnet because they're in love, which is kind of, kind of symbolizes their union. So 
when Pearl basically lied to Garnet to fuse with her, they felt really, really betrayed, like on a on an emotional level. Like you really, you really like lied to us. It was they took it very personally, and they were so upset they didn't know how to like. They were disagreeing on how to be upset, so they defused and like they were they like broke apart for a while because they were so mad that they, you know we have to get over, it, we have to forgive her. No, she lied to us. Doesn't that make you upset? And they were like to, they were like apart. The clip I have is is like them like Stephen gets upset and says, you know, I don't understand why you're mad at you know. Uh, another one of my moms is it my fault because he's a little kid and like no 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 it's our fault and like you, you hear them reconcile and it's very emotional they're crying and you know they get back together and they start kissing and that's the thing about Steven Universe too is that like I've never seen a kids cartoon with such explicit homosexual like characters I mean you know the Simpsons had some but like you know you have like a references or like you know a new window or whatever but like they just lay it all out there and it's completely um, com- it's like completely endorsed and it's really cool because these are colorful, very positive characters, and they don't really me- reference like sexuality. Like they don't, n- no one's called gay on the show. They don't call the gyms lesbians, whatever. They just, they're just in love. And I think that actually, actually, that's a very straightforward way into like making it across the, the board acceptable. I think to kind of you know not really give it a label. So you see them a few other times. You know, they they like play baseball and flirt with each other. You know, they try to teach other people how to fuse and like. I mean, Ruby and Sapphire are kind of like the not the OTP of the show, but they represent a lot of what the show is about and being about love and happiness. So uh, they're. I mean, they're not my number one because my number one involves my favorite character, but uh, they they had to be pretty high up there, and I put them at number two. Sapphire only has one eyeball. Spoilers. <laughs> yes, How is because, that a uh, Garnet- spoiler? Well, Garnet wears like sunglasses, and like when she lists her sunglasses, she actually has three eyes. So that was that was like the clue because you see that early on in the series, but like you don't realize what that means until later well, on. Her bangs cover her eyeball. It seems. I know she's so cute. <laughs> uh, that uh, that it seems like Ruby's a little masculine. Well, yeah, it's the thing because like you didn't know. Like she does looking kind of like Max. So you didn't know. I know in, in um other versions of the show, like internationally, like in Europe or Belgium. They do edit around the gay stuff. Ooh. I know the UK actually edited out some like of the dancing scenes, and apparently one country straight up like gave Ruby a mustache, oh. <laughs> which sucks because Ruby's a girl. She's a she's a not not that all the gems are women. Like there are no male gems except for Stephen. But uh, yeah, they, you know they, they they refer to each other as like she with like feminine pronouns. So don't get it twisted. I understand. What was your first reaction when you when you found this out? Well, that was the thing because I kind of got into Steven Universe late. I wasn't watching – I was watching it like like after it had been on for a while. And apparently like one of the biggest shocks in the entire show is when you realize Garnet's been a fusion the entire time. It's like the Megazord turns to like, you know, like, like, like Sabertooth Tiger and the Pterodactyl. It's like, oh my god. It's like a one-two punch because it's like, oh wow, she was a fusion. But the fusions are like – like you get why she's always a fusion and why she's not Ruby and Sapphire because they've only appeared like less than six times in the show. They've, the show has like over 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. But you understand why she's always together. And it's also because Garnet is personified. Like, you know, Ruby's very hot-headed. Sapphire's very cool and kind of calm. Garnet's, like, super cool. She never asks any questions. Like, she never asks a question. She always knows what to do. She's very, very, like, you kind of want to be her. She's really, like, you know, admirable. Like, you know, she's very, like, uh, kind of a kick-ass. She knows how to fight. She knows how to dance. Um, she always has, like, the best dialogue. She's voiced by Estelle. <laughs> so, like, she's like, you know, she, everybody kind of wants to be Garnet. And the reason why that is because, like, she's kind of formed by two people who are, like, perfectly in love. So there's a lot of, like, really sweet themes kind of, you know, kind of wrapping around themselves that I think uh, makes it for a, a really fun surprise. 
that I just spoiled for you. <laughs> I guess so. Well, you've been talking a while about this, and I sort of always raise my eyebrows uh, when you talk about Steven Universe. <laughs> but you know, as as you uh, as you stated, you've you've never been more serious about it. So. Well, it just just looking at it, it's like, oh, this is a show for kids, or oh, this is a show for whatever. But like, it really, for one thing, it, it really isn't. It just has that kind of visual appeal. Mm-hmm. But I hope I, I hope I don't cry <laughs> with the next one because I, I this really really made me emotional watching it. And it's I felt at first I felt embarrassed, but then it happened with such, so frequently that I just like you know kind of you know stop hurting to hate and, and love the gems. Do you watch this by yourself then? Oh God, yes. So if you watch it with someone, do you think you'd cry? It depends on which episode it is. Like, if you were if you were to put on my favorite episode, which I'm about to talk about, I would I would definitely might cry. Maybe we'll experiment that with this next time we meet. Wow, you're awfully <laughs> you're awfully experimental, aren't you? What do you mean? <laughs> you want to see me cry? <laughs> uh, yeah, fine. I think that'd be like that'd be fun for me. Um, <laughs> no, then I could pat your shoulder and say they're there. That's how I comfort people. Um, no, I've been, you know, because the Kill a Kill and mm. uh, the Robotech, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've taken suggestions. So I've, I've considered. I think one time I even went to a website. That's as far as I got. Wasn't Panarisa had you watching Gravity Falls? Yeah. Yeah, so like, that, that's another show where, like, there's a lot more to it than just being absolutely, a kid's show. Absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things. Yeah, I guess I just can't get past what he looks like. Tom Panarisa? No. <laughs> Oh my goodness! No, Steven! Oh my gosh! That's the quote of the night. I just can't. Oh man, you're gonna be on his hit list. <laughs> I'm already on his hit list. He oh, called me out. Yeah, Pan Pants, you know? He's yeah. a, he, he... No, t- Steven! Oh yeah, he's, he's kind of a chubby kid, but like, I don't know. He, you, don't, you don't care about that. It's. it's, it's okay. It's what it's who's on who's inside that counts. Yes. And plus, there's a ton of singing which you might like. Yeah, I guess I was just concerned because it came out around the time of like Uncle Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. I think regular show and Gumball. So I was just like, they're probably all trash. So that's why. Yeah, like I, I don't watch a lot of the cartoons because they're they really aren't for me. And like they're all like it's like hyperactive sugar garbage. Yeah. This really is not that. I mean, there, there's humor in it, but it, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't do stupid stuff. It it tells us an ongoing story that I'm trying not to get spoiled until uh, Monday. Oh. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm, I'm it, it, it's it's much deeper than uh, it looks. Sounds good. I'm just putting. What's your number two? There. My number two, yeah. I I'm putting out this quote before I forget. Can't get past what he looks like. <laughs> I'm sure stag or stag shags on a burst into the window saying, "Ha ha!" The visage of Pan Pan. I know. That's why he's in the dictionary. Uh, yes, my number two is my comic. Do you want to guess? Okay. Do you want to guess what? Is it Grace Choi and Thunder from The Outsiders? <laughs> I don't even know who those people are. <laughs> I really don't. No, it's the only thing that kept me hanging on during the New Fifty Two. It is Kate Kane and Maggie Sawyer from Batman. Ah. Yeah, written by Jage Williams and W. Hayden Blackman, and uh, Blackman, I believe, is the artist. Also, hopefully, sometimes I get those two confused. <sighs> Let me set up a New Fifty Two for you. <laughs> New Fifty Two was. Betrayal? Well, yeah. Besides that, shipper-wise, it was crazy. Like, I think if you were a shipper, probably, maybe, I guess you would be, like, 
in heaven with all of it. But the thing was, it was like a focus on sex and it was a focus on almost um, shock value sex than like meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in issue one of Catwoman, you have Batman and Catwoman like literally getting together on a roof and keeping their masks or their costumes on and that's like the... (laughs) <laughs> that was the title. Just, just like, a cliffhanger. Do you remember? <laughs> we kept our costumes on or whatever that was called. Um, then in Detective, like either one or two, he has sex with someone in, uh, I think her name was Charlotte, in the office building. Mm-hmm. Then Nightwing, either issue one or two, has sex with like this girl from his past, Raya, in an airplane. Like So you can see. All Red Hood and the Outlaws? Oh my gosh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, yeah, with Roy and... Um, and Starfire. Starfire. Oh my gosh. So as you can see, like it goes bam, bam, bam. It was all this stuff. And, you know, Donovan and I have talked about, I think, use of sex in comics, and we're both on the same page that it's not like the having sex that's the issue with us. It's like, how is it developed? Is there emotion behind it? You know, are these people just falling in bed together or have they developed something and there's like a, a love kind of thing? So then we come to Kate and Maggie. And this was, while I do really like Kate and Renee, and I think, you know, I actually was, that was probably my perhaps first gay couple in comics that I had ever been aware of because I was reading 52 when it was coming out, the weekly issue. This one I felt very uh, emotionally attached to because it defied everything else that the new 52 was doing. Um, They had a very sweet relationship. It was very slow. I've done shipper spotlights on this, I think like two of them, to sort of show like a pairing of like, look at the pacing of how this goes. Going out, you know, and hanging out. And then I think it might have been like maybe their first or second date. You know, Maggie offered Kate to come in, and Kate actually just kisses her on the cheek and says, you know, something like next time or, or whatever like that, which was like, oh, my gosh, a breath of fresh air from the new 52. Uh, and there's a really sweet moment in uh, maybe the fourth or the fifth issue where Kate was just having, like, a really rough time, and Maggie comes over, and they sit on the stairs. And uh, that was the first time they actually uh, shared a kiss, but it was just like, it was comfort, and it was, you know, love. Very emotional. And yes, absolutely. And, you know, clearly there being something there besides, like, animal attraction and and wanting to have sex and everything. Uh, They do end up having sex in kind of, it was a little bit of an explicit scene. Uh, But beautifully. I remember that. I know, but beautifully done by. J.H. Williams, I guess, or W. Hayden mm-hmm. Blackman. Whoever is the artist, I'm so sorry. But, uh, you know, the and then, of course, we wanted them to get married, and, and that unfortunately did not happen. That was that was ruled away from uh, by DC Editorial, or Dan DiDio, whichever one you choose to say. But uh, I just Dan- feel like, yeah, okay. I just feel like this was the best couple to come out of the New 52, because it was such a cry, it was a far cry from all the other couples that were going on. That it was, uh, it had a basis of uh, emotion. That it was a nice slow burn where they were like developing feelings towards each other, getting to know each other. It wasn't falling in bed with each other, and I just felt like they were also really compatible, and it was fun to see them interacting and everything. Uh, and it continues to be one of like I will constantly mention this uh you know everywhere i go if if there's like supposed to if someone asks about this but i just feel like it was really well done and you know how great that that the best done relationship happened to be a lesbian couple uh in the new 52 but those are my thoughts and and did you read this 
You know, I only read. I, I feel bad because Batwoman is such a popular character, yeah. and I'm all for new Batman characters. I mean, because I've heard people talk about, you know, why don't we care about the new Bat family as much as the old Bat family, like Duke and Harper uh, and Batwoman. When I read Batwoman, it was when I was on TBU's Comic Cast uh-huh. where we, we were doing the Batman comic, Batwoman comic, and it was always very well written. I think that like I need to read her first storyline, her very first one, because like a lot of her adventures are kind of like either like really weirdly yeah. supernatural yep. or like military stuff with her dad. Yeah. And neither of those appealed to me. That being said, I, I did read the start of their relationship, and we were I mean, it was like five after five out of fives all the time. <laughs> so I, I I definitely um get where your love for this relationship comes from, and I definitely uh, endorse it. Yeah, I don't know if I, I mean I would just be repeating myself if I said anything more about it but i was bummed when they when they weren't together and i mean we'll see because renee's coming back so i feel like maybe that'll be the new couple with batwoman returning to her own book i'm not an expert on maggie sawyer but i do know I mean, i've known about her for a while uh yeah. from superman and she's supposed to be like not an older person but like if we're gonna say that like let's say kate is 30 then maggie would be like 35 or whatever which is fine i, mean, I think that's actually kind of cool to have like different people of different you know, kind of age ranges with with each other, and I really like the Supergirl storyline with Alex Danvers. I think that's actually very, very, very oh, yeah. well written and yeah. well uh, acted by uh, Tyler Lee. Yeah, I just I, I really repelled at first the idea of like, <laughs> oh Maggie Sawyer, she's a young, happening leather jacket wearing like you know, you know, cool chick. It's like, but she's not though. But whatever. But um, I I do like uh, Batwoman and Maggie together, and I think. Probably come back together sooner rather than later because the rebirth is kind of making everything better again. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I did enjoy the scene. I mean, it's not Maggie, but the scene in Batman versus wait, what was that called? Bad Blood. Yes, Bad Blood. Thank you. In the bar with uh, Kate and Maggie, I thought that was a good scene. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that? With it was Kate Renee, and Renee. Right? It was Renee. Sorry. Yeah, because I started off saying it wasn't Maggie, but yeah. God, I haven't laughed like that in so long. I noticed you looked pretty miserable when you came in. One of those days. One of those lives. (laughs) Excuse me. So, you're a cop? A detective. You have a problem with that? No, not at all. You just don't look the part. (laughs) What's a cop supposed to look like? Not as hot as you. Did I just say that out loud? Uh, yeah, you did. You're good. Actually, I'm terrible. I haven't dated in over a year, and I... Something wrong? What? No. No. Look, I do have to go, but can I give you my card? Call me? Yeah, right. That's not a line, Renee. I... I like you. I really do. But something's come up. Yeah, I think this is great. I, I think perhaps, you know, we talked about Renee being maybe the first one, first lesbian character, or like bigger named character. I, and I think with Kate coming out in 52, I think she was the like first big 
uh, hero-named uh, character coming out, which was great for that time period. I was reading up on her again, and it was saying how fan reactions went. Of course, as always, they were divided, and it was like either hating that decision or, or applauding it. And now I, I sort of can't see her any other way. I know I've read some of the old comics with her and flirting over Batman and everything, but I just sort of accept, you know, what it is now, and I feel like I really like her character now. So. Wait, 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 wait. Her flirting Ooh. Flirting at Batman, you said? Flirting with Batman, yeah, way back when. She did? When she was Batwoman, way, way, way back. Oh, you're, you're, oh that's a different character. That, that was um, Kathy Kane. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I know. I know it sucks. <laughs> but like, <laughs> that, that, that's not meant to be like Kate Kane, like straight Are up. Are you sure? Like, I'm positive because um, – okay. Well, for one thing, Grant Morrison had both characters in Batman Inc. Um, but also like uh, – Oh, that's tr- right, yeah. Yeah, like, like like Kathy Kane, like she has her own. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not like it, like like Kate Kane is not from the Golden Age. She's a totally new character who okay. has a very similar name. So I guess I could just change it by saying Batwoman, the character yes. used to flirt yes. with Batman, but now she doesn't. <laughs> exactly. There, there you go. go. Anyway, yeah, that works out. So yeah, so that is my number two. The thing that honestly made New Fifty Two like palatable because there are sort of like <laughs> there are spots here and there that like you had to find your joy as. Uh, Shag says, like, in order to survive New 52, and that and was And then they took it the... away. Oh my gosh, I know. And then you move on and find something else. Mm, yes, indeed. Well, we're down to it. This is it. Are you prepared? Do you need a tissue? Oh my gosh. I want to get one. I didn't... Wait, are you... <laughs> Dawn, I've never seen you this way. <laughs> this is like... This is a different side to you. Dawn! <laughs> you hear the... I have a tissue. Oh my right gosh! What's happening? Uh, I've done this before, but but like I think I um I had power of editing, so I, I could like you, you know. You teared up while you were talking about it. Yes. Was it with Jesse? Oh God, no! It was it was yeah, I was I was alone, and oh, then and then, alone. And then okay. Jesse showed up at the end of the episode. Oh okay, but after your your man tears. Yeah yeah yeah. I, 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 he was like, "Hey, you want to talk about Spider Man?" I was like, "Okay." So. Oh my gosh! Okay, well I'm here. I can't really do much. Digi- I can only help you digitally, but and I laugh. support you. No, I've been supportive of your choice of uh, Steven. <laughs> I have not made fun of it, except what he looked like. That's it. <laughs> okay. My number one, this is no surprise to anybody who's heard me before, but my number one favorite kid couple is, again, from Steven Universe, my favorite character, Pearl, Pearl and Rose Quartz. <laughs> Pearl! Pearl, you have to tell me what's wrong. Sometimes you even sound like her. Do you remember this place? Do you have any of her memories? We were right here over 5,000 years ago. Yes? I'm going to stay and fight for this planet. You don't have to do this with me. But I want to! I know you do. Please, please understand. If we lose, we'll be killed. And if we win, we can never go home. Why would I ever want to go home if you're here? (laughs) My pearl... You're wonderful. 
everything I ever did. I did for her. Now she's gone. But I'm still here. Sometimes I wonder if she can see me through your eyes. What would she think of me now? Well, I think you're pretty great. And as I mentioned before, that like Steven is sort of the reincarnation of his mom. His mom is Rose Quartz. The idea of like the gems from that show are that, you know, they kind of like, they were initially brought to Earth to kind of take over the world. And Rose Quartz was kind of, you know, realized that there was, you know, humans on the planet. There was people to be protected. There was life. So she formed a rebellion to fight against her own people. The one person who was by her side the entire time was a gem named Pearl, um, who was, who was like, this, a bird headed looking like. <laughs> <laughs> very cartoony, like 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 a uh, not whiny, but very prim and proper. Oh, do your homework, kind of kind of lady. And that's the kind of thing. Because like Steven Universe, like not only is it like you know a great show about all this kind of like love, but the gems really are like his surrogate mothers. And there's a lot of like a a mother son relationship with all of them. And Pearl is like the mother Leah's. Like she's kind of like like the Marge Simpson of the group. Only she's she's really funny. Like she she can sing. She's voiced by Dee Dee Magnol Hall, who is awesome. Like she's um, she can she's like a ballerina. She knows how to sword fight. She's multi talented. Throughout the show, like you never see his mom. He's like, oh, your mom used to do this, or your mom used to say that. Of all the gems, Pearl was always the one who like really spoke to about his mom with like real reverence. Like you know, oh Stephen, you know when Rose was here, she would do this, or you know, oh Rose wanted me to show you this, or whatever. And at first, you really kind of think that she's kind of like a suck up. Like, you know, okay, you know, she, we, we know Pearl. You're probably kind of, you know, kissing her butt and, like, you know, you probably miss her because she was your friend. At least in my viewing, there was no real, you know, hints of anything else after that. But then there's this one episode. <laughs> there's an episode called Rose's Scabbard where they find the, you know, like the scabbard for his mother's uh, sword. Pearl's like, oh my God, I'm not seeing, I'm, I'm not seeing this in like over 5,000 years. And Steven's like, oh, what was my mom like? And she's like, she was smart and beautiful and you see like her like touching the sword and looking at the picture of his mom and like oh okay i know what's going on here but that's like (laughs) in the first that's like in the first like two minutes of the episode because what follows is not only the fact that like she was in love with with his mother but she kind of factor in the fact that like okay she was in love with somebody who actually fell in love with a human that human is steven's father and so it kind of puts into perspective, oh, wait a minute, that's why she doesn't like being around him very much. Mm. And that's why she talks about her uh, at, at a certain point. Uh, there was a point in the show where Steven learned something on his own. And then like, several episodes later, Pearl said, oh, I'm going to show you this thing. Your mom would have liked me to show you this, but he already knows about it. So she has a mental breakdown. And she's like, well, uh, Rose would never lie to me. She would never – she told me everything. And then the other gems are like, you know, well, she was her own gem. She was her own person. She didn't tell you everything. He's like, no. You have no idea what we were like. None of you have what we had. And she has like a real life realistic like breakdown. And she's like running from Steven. She's like, get away from me. And uh, she actually like very, very nearly lets him die. You know, it might be easy. Oh, what a horrible mother she is. And that's true. But it's so sad because like you realize that not only did she love this this person, but she has to look into her her son, the main character, every single day, 
you know, who's he's basically a reincarnation. He's basically Rose. He's basically his, his his mother, the person that she loved, and deal with the fact that she wasn't chosen. You know, like like, like the person she loved ended up with a guy, a human, and she's been away from her from like from like ever since Stephen was born. She says, you know, I'm away from my people because when we dedicated ourselves to fight this war, we knew we would never go home, but I would never want to go home if I was, you know, if I, that meant being away from her. And now I'm all alone. And it's, <laughs> I've never cried at a movie or a book or a television show or anything. This really got me hard. And I actually really can't watch that episode. I mean, it's my favorite episode, but I can't watch it again because it'll just, I just kind of want to hold those emotions kind of close and they really are kind of the high point of the show for me. And it's really made her my favorite character because it adds such dimension to a character who's shown to be very, very, like, kind of, like, she's she's, she's smart and she's nice and she's great. But she also has a real mean streak. Um, my second favorite episode is, like, where you see a flashback where she tries, like, showing off how much – how close she and Rose are with Steven's dad. And she's like, oh, you know, you're just a phase. You know, she'll, she'll move on from you, you know, because she and I fuse. And she can't fuse with the human. And, like, she's so snotty that it was, like – it was my Skype profile for a while because it was hilarious. But really, it's, it's, it's very, very sad. It's a very tragic romance that, that kind of doesn't end up happening because without – you know, it failing, you don't get the main character. At, Com- at San Diego Comic-Con, the voice actress who I got to interview, thanks Josh, um, she sang this song that the character was singing, you know, it's called It's Over, where she's kind of dealing with the fact that, you know, it's, it's over, you know, you're gone, and you ended up with him, and I lost you, and we can't be together anymore, and I- <laughs> oh, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> There's just uh, a barrier reef's depth of emotion going on with this relationship, and I truly love it. It's you know it's beyond like you know oh they're the LGBT relationship or whatever. It's just, it's just like so heartfelt as like you know the depths of emotion that I've never seen before in a comic or show or movie. And I really love this show. I really love this romance, even though it kind of made her crazy. And I'm rooting for Pearl uh, later in life, and I hope she finds love somewhere. Couple questions. In your favorite episode, does Steven hug her from behind? Yeah, that's it. Okay, because I'm that's, looking that's, at that's, images that's, there. That's what gets me. Okay. Also, another question. What happened to Steven's mother? Do you know? Well, she met a human who is, who is Steven's father named Greg, and she wanted to have a baby, but she knew that the way that the alien species are – she like because like they they're actually like it's kind of complicated but like they all have like gems in their bodies like Stephen has a rose quartz gem in his belly button, Pearl has a pearl on her forehead, uh-huh. like that's how they like, like those are actually their 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 like souls their essences, and Rose, she basically like went back to her gem and came out like a baby boy, like a baby Stephen so like um, she doesn't exist anymore, it, like she's she, she, all in person purposes she's dead like she can never come back. And like you know, she kind of you know that that gave birth to Steven. It's kind of complicated. She kind of like died slash reincarnated into him, and he's also like you know the very the first of his kind. He's the first like male gem, first half human gem, and so the gems are charged with you know telling him about his his species. They they always lie to him, so he has to kind of fight things out the hard way. And Pearl was the one who like was very very motherly, very very like attentive, very very like you know you tell him what to do, whatever. When you learn how she felt about his mom, it puts so many things into perspective in a way that it isn't cheap or like or like uh you know sneaky it's very very like well written and it drives a lot of the show and, and like later on in later seasons you see her get to know his dad better 
because she really like, she actually had a nightmare one time where like she was with Rose and Rose turned around and it was his Steven's dad and she screamed. <laughs> There's other things like you know how she vows to protect the earth only because that's what Rose wanted. Otherwise, she actually doesn't really like the earth very much. So a lot of character development is based upon this sort of like tragic romance that kind of reverberates around the show. Is there any chance of her coming back? No. Uh, only way they would do that is to is to kill Steven, but even then you don't know how to go about it. Oh. Okay. So but people have been, like fans have been wondering if there was a chance would would Pearl kill Steven to bring back Rose and Wow. <laughs> that's that's how that's how strong her feelings are. It's it's kind of um intense. Is this pretty one sided? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I, Does like, Rose uh, love Pearl? Well, the scene from Rose's scabbard, Ro- uh, Pearl, she can kind of like make a hologram with her, with her pearl on her head, and she in a, she reenacts a discussion that they had about staying on the Earth, uh-huh. and it ends up being very like kind of like romantic. She says, "Oh, my pearl," and they hold hands, and like she says, "They're wonderful," but. People are like, you know, well, she ended up with with a human male, so I guess Rose didn't return her feelings. But the, the creator of the show, Rebecca Sugar, said, "Well, I don't, it, it, I won't tell you that it was that Rose didn't return her feelings. We're kind of just we're showing you how it was as the show goes along, but I won't say it was unrequited love." And people are like, "What?" <laughs> so I don't know if like Rose let her on or she didn't understand how she felt. It's, it's very, very like uh, ambiguous. Do you think could Rose have possibly been using Greg just to get pregnant? Oh no no no, because they were together for years. Oh, so that she actually loved Greg then? Yeah, she did love Greg. Like they were okay. together for like twenty years before she turned into Steven. Wow, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm shaking. Are you doing okay? <laughs> no, I lo- I love this episode, but like, oh, it, I know, yeah, it's, it's such a it's big for you. Yeah, yeah, I thought about playing. One of her, like the song that she sings in season three about, about um, you know, dealing with the fact that it's over and her, her and Rose are over. Then they never actually happened. And I, I should probably send you a link, but like I, the clip I have is from Rose's scabbard at the very end. That that scene because it kills me because it just starts off so intense and it ends up so like heartfelt. Do you think this is one of those scenes that maybe kids won't necessarily understand the impact of it emotionally? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, because I'm wondering, I'm wondering if kids think, you know, oh, well, she was her friend or whatever. I think that, like, they could either come at it – because it's not very uh, ambiguous. Like, I think if you only go to the scene where she starts talking about her and you see how she is looking and touching the sword or whatever, adults might pick up on that, but kids might not. But I think with the rest of that episode, kids probably might because there's so much kind of, like, you know, out there that it's – there's no real – there's no real, you know, other explanation for it. Wow. Seems pretty intense. It is. It so is. <laughs> Yours had better be half as good. <laughs> ha- oh, well, half as good. Okay. Well, I guess that's a low bar. Hey! Hey! No, half. You're saying half as good. Yours had better be. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not going to surpass yours. It, it just has to, like, meet, be halfway to yours. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's why, man, it's a low bar. I'm not insulting you. Give me a break. You're so <sighs> sensitive. I, I am. I'm, I'm a sensitive, sensitive man. Okay. Well, this is my number one. And uh, it's a film. And it might have been the first LGBT-focused film I had ever seen. 
And it made me think differently about love as well as LGBT couples in general. So I just wanted to give that preface. So it's it's really big for me, whether it's not you know impactful for other people, who knows? But it's a 2006 film by Old Parker named uh, called Sorry, Imagine You and Me. Rachel, Rachel, wait, Luce, please, just talk to me. What do you want to say? I heard him. Jesus, I'm lying there. And I heard him, and he's blaming himself. You can put an end to this. How? Tell me to go. Tell me that's what you want, and I will walk away, and you will never see me again. Is that what you want? I want you. It's a little indie one, Mm. but just like, I guess, LGBT uh, films of late have been, uh, it actually has two bigger name stars, Piper Perabo, Mm -hmm. and who you might have known from Coyote Ugly, TV show Covert Affairs, and Lena Headey, whom you might know as Sarah Connor on... What is it called? The Sarah Connor Chronicles, I think. Yeah, and, and of course, she's most well known now as Cersei Lannister on Game of Thrones. So, right. <laughs> originally it was called Click, and I think in the French it's also known as Click, and it sort of almost revolves around like the concept of love at first sight. And you first start off. Oh, I'm sorry. The two characters are Luce and Rachel, and Luce is Lena Headey, and Rachel is Piper uh, Parabo. And so you start off just knowing who Rachel is and it's on her wedding day that she meets Luce and she's like literally walking <laughs> down the aisle. Uh, Luce owns a flower shop so she's the one doing the flowers and everything and as she walks down the aisle uh, like just for whatever reason Rachel turns her head and like she and Luce lock eyes and like the music like is just like a little like tinkle <laughs> kind of thing and like oh you're like what's what's happening here and so then she goes later on, you know, she's married with this really nice guy. What's his name? Matthew Good, who played, um, or Good, Matthew Good, who played uh, Ozymandias in Watchmen. Okay. Amongst other things. Uh, and so, you know, she's she's obviously having this, you know, sharing a, a married life with him. She went to the flower shop later and sort of strikes up a, a friendship with Luce to a certain extent, but then starts backing off because, like, she feels like she feels like there's something there. But you know, she's also trying to <laughs> to stay with her husband, and so it's like this push and pull business because Luce has an interest because Luce is a lesbian, but Rachel is having a tough time because she has an interest in Luce, but she also does not want to hurt 
her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> uh, at the end, you, you uh, well, unfortunately, she does say, because she, she kisses Luce at one point, and later on, her husband's like asleep on the couch. Asleep, you know, one of those scenes. And she confesses, you know, that she had kind of an emotional affair and, of course, you know, kisses. Uh, and then he was actually pretending to be asleep. So he heard everything, and oh. uh, yeah, there was a birthday party, and sort of they they have it out, and they're just like, uh, I, I just don't think we can be together, and so uh, leading up to that point, after the kiss that Luce and Rachel had, they like a customer came in because the kiss was in the flower shop, and the customer happened to be her husband, and so he was explaining to Luce how um, he feels like something's off with him and Rachel and all that stuff, and and of course Rachel's in the back room like listening to all this, and she runs away, you know, filled with guilt. And they have a confrontation after he leaves, and she basically asks, you know, Rachel asks Luce, like, what do you want? And Luce says, I want you. And and Rachel says, well, yeah, I just can't do it. I can't. So basically they're like, we need to just put an end to it. We can't see each other anymore. So so that was it. But then everything ends, and and Luce is is going to leave and go somewhere, and uh, Rachel decides to chase after her. And there's one quote. I didn't use this quote because I thought that there was a better one. I actually had the confrontation uh, as my sound clip. But after uh, her husband leaves, she's with her parents and and is talking about Luce. And her mom's sort of like quizzical. And uh, and it's interesting because there's a comment earlier on about when they invite Luce over very early in the film – uh, to have dinner and and uh, the husband was asking just to get to know her about you know are you married are you dating anyone and she you know says like no no maybe now that the laws changed so it must have happened like pretty soon after England changed I guess their their laws um to allow hmm. same sex marriages which I thought was interesting I'm not sure what the timeline was again this is 2006 not sure when that happened over there mm-hmm. so her mom was talking and she's like so you're saying you're lesy friends like that's how she it, it's in it's in britain so you know and <laughs> isn't britain these yeah britney's well i mean just so you know it's like so you're saying you're leslie friends it is something like that and i liked rachel's quote is like you know i don't know like what you would call it it doesn't matter it's over that kind of thing and i like the fact like she wasn't going to put a label on it and so that like stuck with me just that little interaction and i sort of started rethinking like kind of what love is all about and so here's my wacky idea of what love is um and this is just for me so you know you can take it with a grain of salt or, or whatever but I've sort of started to think because, well, first, let me just say that this is supposed to be a romantic comedy kind of thing. And um, I would say it's more dramatic, though there are some like funny cues. Like there's this guy that's like clearly a misogynist um, in there, I guess, to make it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess he's a comic relief. Um, oh, but, but there are some like serious moments. I, I feel like now, you know, Love at First Sight, I don't know how much I, uh, I don't know, because it's, you know, it's not happened to me, though in this one I felt like it was pretty plausible, though it happened at a very inconvenient time, but I almost feel like people's souls fall in love with each other, and it's like a very internal thing, the body that it's in, it could be like the same type of body, it could be a different type of body, and so that's sort of what I imagined with this one is that, you know, the souls of like Luce and Rachel, like they fell in love and they just happened to be, you know, two girls and everything, and so I felt like there was really no need to put some sort of label on it, which is kind of what I got from that conversation where she's like, it doesn't matter what it's called, you know, so I just kind of started thinking about that again, but I just felt like it's it's a very lovely film, it's not 
gratuitous in any way like if there's only you know a kissing scene which i think sometimes you get into the like i think there's some dangerous films out there uh which i avoid um <laughs> that that is like i think that blue is the warmest color i've heard some scary things about that um <laughs> <laughs> i really have i really have but this is there are only two films that i have seen that i have watched uh four times in two days which seems excessive bounce was one of them which is with ben affleck and gwyneth paltrow which i I just absolutely loved and fell in love with and then this was another one that I, I was like what is this at first I was like filled with a little trepidation like okay what's gonna happen and then it just it was just a very beautiful story and not only because well number one you don't expect the outcome because I think in general and we talked about this on the minority report that you know someone like you would expect something bad to happen basically uh, because you know this mm-hmm. sort of thing it was seen as taboo and so something bad should clearly happen to someone, which you know doesn't happen with Carol, um, which was the good thing about that. I think The Price of Salt is what that was called, that novel at the time in the 50s. And then it was great about this is that it, it turned out to be okay. But it's also filled with struggles, and I think it, it seemed very realistic. And I liked that Rachel, while she had you know an Ethan Frome-esque sort of affair with Luce, that she was really struggling because she was with you know she was with someone, she was trying to stay faithful with him. Whether or not she loved him, I, I think she probably did, but I think perhaps it was a different type of love than she had with Luce. But uh, I, I just uh, really enjoy this couple. Again, it made me rethink a lot of things, uh, and I, I recommend this uh, particular movie. Yeah, I heard about this, but I, I would, I'm definitely – I really would like to see it because I love Lena Headey. Yeah. <laughs> and it's on, it, the fact that this is done in 2005 is, uh, again, kind of surprising to me because – not to say that there weren't LGBT films out there. I mean I, I'm thinking of like uh, in the 90s, Chasing Amy, yeah. but I think this, this, oh, this sounds <laughs> – have you seen that? I haven't. <laughs> interesting. But, is it um, worth it? <laughs> You know, I've seen it twice and I like it, but it's oh, by okay. Kevin Smith, so I'm wondering if I see it a third time if it'll hold oh, up. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's it's like a romantic drama. No, I, I, I'd be totally down for this. And it's weird because, like, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with Piper Parabo, yeah. but uh, this is after – this is before uh, 300, so Lena Headey. I guess this would be the earliest thing oh, she yeah. might have been in. There you go. Uh, perhaps, I think – oh, the yeah, because – oh, no, I think maybe this might have been the second thing because they were in, like – they were in kind of a horror sci-fi flick called like The Cavern or something like that. I can't remember <laughs> what it was called. And I think she was also in The Brothers Grimm with Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. Oh, okay. But this was like a, a bigger film. Or, well, I mean, it was like a leading role for her. Gotcha, gotcha. Now that we're at the end of this, I, I think we can, we can kind of talk about with all of our lists. Because you and I talked about this as we were developing this a few months ago, that like the overwhelming majority of our lists are all like girl-on-girl couples. Yeah. What do you What do you – Think about that. I think there are more, actually, lesbian couples than there are gay couples. In fiction? I feel like it. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I was, like, thinking, like, you know, of the list that I could have had with guys, like, it could have been Dawson's Creek. I could have put on Collins and Angel from Rent. Yeah. But yeah. for me, I just feel like, and maybe I just haven't been, like, watching uh, the, I don't know, the quote-unquote right things, but I just feel like, they they don't seem those particular couples do not seem to be developed as well or have like as emotional impact and i don't know if this is because maybe 
people like the powers that be feel like viewership prefers more girl quote unquote girl on girl action than guy on guy action i don't know i mean this is just i feel like these are just better and more like emotional and and uh are developed well than other things that i've seen what you had said there kind of hit it on the head that like lesbian relationships are seen as more palatable because for the male gaze it's it's way easier to see women getting together for some sort of like you know tension releasing kind of thing than men because because love is seen as love as traditionally done by the male gaze is kind of be seen as kind of like weak and feminine and not necessarily something that you know men do with other men like you're like you're seeing you know it's it's room if if men are with other men they're, they're not portrayed as you know they're not seen by like a lot of straight people straight men as, as strong you know because they're like you know that you know you're weak or this or that or whatever and i think that like just by the nature of society it's not not been majorly endorsed on the media it's done with women i know there's a movie called um oh man it's, it's with jim carrey and ewan mcgregor uh I was gonna say, brokeback mountain well there's that that's definitely, one. that's definitely a big one yeah uh it's like jack or something or whatever i don't know it, it's a you know it's, it's based on a true story about a, a gay couple like a male gay couple but yeah really like i mean i think that like and, and uh i think that sometimes it's been done you know for like I, I think a lot of times in like the 90s in terms of comic books there's been a lot of, like, like in, the, in the bad girl era you would have characters like she or lady death you know there, there are other there are other like like, like bad girl characters who would kind of be ambiguously bisexual it was just straight up for titillation and they kind of just get out there that way. But then you would have stuff like uh, Imagine Me and You and Sailor Mercury and Sailor Neptune yeah. and Steven Universe where it's just – it's straight up exploring character uh, dynamics. It also helps that like – I mean I'm not sure who is in – who wrote Imagine Me and You. I can uh, – Oi Parker. Yeah. And Oi Parker yeah. is a man, which is, which is good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously it, it, it depends on who is behind the camera and who's behind the printing these. So I, th- I think it's a shame because you know I think there should be a push to better the media, you know, a media interpretation of gay men. I'd say that you know, like, like like we're done with gay women necessarily, but they, they, it seems that they had a generous head start, and, and I would I would like to see that. But you know, maybe like in the in the, they would have more lists with gay gay characters, gay, gay male characters. Yeah, and and I feel like we haven't tackled necessarily the transgender characters too much either. Oh no, I, I, I honestly don't think in that way. It's it's. I think we've we, we actually have a better excuse because there's just not been nearly as many gay, uh, transgender characters out there That's, hardly at yeah. all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm willing to say it's not my fault there, <laughs> but at the same time. Oh no! Well, I don't mean for our list. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like we need to also tackle, as in we, as in like the people that are creating things. That's what I meant. Absolutely. Steven Universe has transgender characters by way oh. of fusion, which is really really cool. Oh yeah, by way of fusion. Oh yes. Now I'll never look at dancing the same way again. I'm going to try to fuse with you next time. Well, I need your consent to fuse. Otherwise, I'll be just like a dirty, filthy pearl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we made it. Some tears were shed. We did, indeed. Our hearts were open. Yes. Yeah, I, I hope you listeners out there perhaps either pick up something that we mentioned or, or give something a shot and, and keep on the lookout for, for couples that are done well and hopefully are not killed. <laughs> That's all we can hope. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts as we we end it? Watch the universe. Um, and if you have a problem with this, just try to be open minded and realize that love is indeed very much love. I mean, we just had that comic come out. The love is love. Uh, oh, I've not seen that. Yeah, I've not read that. Have you read that? I haven't, but I've heard. Well, I've heard stories of some people going to a comic shop to get it and 
it not being there and then asking and they're not even like going to pick it up so i wonder what that's about oh that sucks and that, that really sucks it does yeah yep yeah oh, being open-minded i i certainly second that and uh tolerant and, and empathy and just yeah loving other people they may not be you but they deserve everything you have so yeah that that's my my only political message i guess on this show <laughs> so uh yeah so thanks for joining us with, for shipper spotlight number six where in this one we celebrated the different colors of love remember you can send any questions or comments to backroll oracle at gmail.com like the show on facebook or follow it on twitter at backroll oracle and follow the batman universe on facebook and twitter as well be sure to support TBU by subscribing to Patreon and, of course, give us a nice little uh, iTunes review. Now, before we go, Don, you are heading up lots of shows. So do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you apart from Backroll Oracle? Well, first of all, you can find both Stella and I, as much as you can, on the comic book film review at cbfreview.lipson.com. Find us on iTunes. The last thing we did was uh, pick The Phantom. Uh, you can also find me and Garrett on The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Super podcast going over Dragon Ball Super as much as we can stand it. DBCNextDimension.Lipson.com <laughs> um, as always. It's iTunes. We also have a Facebook and an official group page. I'm also on the Batman Universe Net with Josh doing the weekly talkback show, The Gotham Chronicle, for us however long I stand that show. And finally, myself and Mr. Harris Huge do questions. We don't have answers. Find us on QNoAnswers.com or on iTunes. And the next have is uh, how much or how far should celebrity worship go? Oh. That's another one. We're, we're probably going to both, you know, embarrass ourselves by saying how we sickeningly worship certain celebrities. Don't we all? <laughs> well, thank you again for being on here. As you've said, look, we're 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 getting old. This is number six. Thank you very much for not choosing Shaq. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, everyone. Well, until next time. Fuse on, lovers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>